Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome to Ted Lasso Season 2, Episode 6, The Signal, written by the one and only Brett Goldstein and directed by Erica Dunton. Um, with me, of course, of course, as always, is uh, our uh, boss, Emily Chambers. Here I am. And uh, Coach, are you there? I'm right here and ready to go, Coach. All right. Now, Coach, you told me that um, you've been the voice of of uh, kindness on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I, yes, you, I guess so. You're very yes. forgiving. Yes. But you told me before this episode, before we started hitting the record button, that um, this episode contains what? My least favorite joke to this point in the series. Like, it was, it was, the experience was first me going, what? And then going, oh, now I've got to defend this? That was my, that was the sequence of thoughts. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm the one, I'm the apologist. I can't possibly have a problem. I'm, well, I'm out, I'm out here fighting for you, Ted Lasso, and I don't need <laughs> this shit. Thanks for the help. Um, <laughs> that's Brett, Gold, Brett Goldstein is helping you right there. Oof. I should mention that this episode, I felt the closest to nothing so far in this season. Which I think means it might be the best one so far. Maybe maybe episode two. But having no strong feelings at this point is sort of a, a ringing endorsement from me. Yeah. Well, uh, for, for the people who are just joining in, that's also because um, our boss, Emily Chambers, is dead on the inside. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I was, I was sorting out the scale there. Like, what would it mean for most people? Was it being covered from you, boss? So I get it. I got it. I'm with you. I want to issue a, a quick correction. Um, I, I did a little facial treatment and accidentally uh, did too much chemical peel on one side of my nose. So technically, I'm dead on the outside right now, too. <laughs> Yikes. Um, okay, well, Coach, I'm going um, to put your heart to rest here, uh, your worries to rest, because I uh, loved this episode. So I did a thing where I just went between these last episodes, I went back and did like a full Ted Lasso rewatch and I just kind of fell in love with it all over again for the 17th time. And uh, I got really emotional watching the end of last episode, which is the lead in where, um, where Roy Kent walks onto the field and everybody goes bananas. And I was like, why is this hitting me so hard? And then I thought, you know, I've been pretty hard on the show this season and I, I was like, you know, I didn't love the romantic comedy elements of it, uh, of last episode. And then I, 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 after this rewatch, I was like, you know what? Um, and we'll, we'll allude to it a little bit here uh, as there's a, there's a joke in the beginning of, of episode six, the signal that will sort of, uh, 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 pertain to this. But I was like, you know, I'm really appreciative. Uh, and, and boss, this may not apply to you as much, um, generationally. But as a member of, of Gen X, the lost generation, um, I feel like everything in my life is either boomers or Taylor Swift. 
And um, actually, those aren't good comparisons. I think Taylor, Taylor Swift is great. Uh, boomers, I just feel like we've we're st- we still have like you know Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer mm, running mm, everything mm. on our side. You know, it's mm, like we just haven't. Mm, mm. And then the best politicians of the Gen X generation are horrible people, <laughs> like the Ted Cruz's, yeah. and you just go, oh my god, like, like how Santas. are they from Gen X? Yeah, yeah, you're like these are disgusting people. Anyway, whatever. Uh, we don't want to make this political, um, but um, <laughs> we, but in general, um, uh, yeah, um, my I felt so uh, pleased that even in a quirky, corny sort of quirky way, that the writers were catering in some way to my experiential movie time frame of romantic comedies. And and I get, decided, you know what, I, I don't have to be as critical because this is just good, clean fun. And um, that's where we, we enter this episode. Uh, Interesting. I, I, I got to throw this in, Coach, and I, I, I promise to, to keep my uh, ADHD under control today. But I think it's funny what you said about not making it political, because actually one of my favorite moments was uh, post our road trip with a hungover Nate. And we're figuring out what the Diamond Dog's name is going to be. And one of the suggestions is Proud Boys and on cue, Nate wretches into the garbage can. And I just thought, yeah, loud and clear. I got you loud yeah. and clear. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we get a QAnon joke in this one. Uh, so we start. We start in uh, opening scene. We fade up from black um, dancing shoes by the Arctic Monkey plays. We're playing playing soccer, which you know. Uh, my expectation for this show is that it's a show fundamentally about a soccer team. So I was excited right away. Jamie tarts to the edge of the area. He has options. Passes to Danny. Danny uh, hits the hits it into the goal. Uh, kicks it into the goal and. Um, there is, uh, Arlo, I think it's Arlo saying, uh, you must admit from where they started this season, this Richmond team is re- unrecognizable. And, um, then we're at a, uh, we pull into a different, uh, football talk show, which we haven't seen, uh, Forza love of the game hosted by Ian Wright and Seema Jaswal. Seema says, uh, Richmond's on a four game winning streak. She says they've really turned things around since adding Roy to the coaching staff. Um, and uh, uh, Wrighty, who uh, played play by Ian Wright, confirms that you can see the, the Roy Kent effect on the players, which leads them uh, into Saturday's FA Cup uh, quarterfinal clash against um, Tottenham Hotspur. You're just like, oh, my God, that's a prestigious team. They're going to get smoked. Um, uh, the Hotspurs is the team uh, that Ted originally coached before, like when, uh, when Ted Lasso was just like a concept. Um, in the NBC Sports commercial way back in 2013, ah. be- before this, yeah, it, it was the Spurs. Didn't realize that. Nice. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's when uh, Coach Beard was rocking a slightly longer, shaggier hairstyle. Uh, is the important thing that I took away from that commercial. Uh, right as always, and um, so uh, Wrighty says he doesn't think Rich can pull out the win, which I don't blame him. It's, it's like a totally different class of team. Um, it was for me, it felt like the man city stuff where it's like, yeah, this is great, but you, you're not going to beat this team. Um, and then we pull out of the show, uh, and we cut to Rebecca's kitchen and there is a, we see the back of a naked man, uh, character's name is Luca played by Oliver Seville and he's grabbing a cup of tea. I was like, wait, who the fuck was, was did this, uh, surprise either one of you guys? <laughs> 
no. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why. It's not as if every episode has a naked man in the kitchen. So, I mean, really, there's nothing wrong with the question. But yeah, I was not at in the least bit surprised uh, when, when I saw that. So that's interesting. All right. So we, we've established that I'm the biggest prude uh, on the team. <laughs> I, I, was, it's, it's, <laughs> I think this is, a, this is getting I disturbingly just... common. Um but I, uh, yeah, no, for me, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, all right. Um, I, that we then cut to Rebecca in bed. Um, and, uh, I was like, coach is going to die is what I thought when I saw this. And she lifts up her foot and kind of stretches it. And I was like, this is, this will kill my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's. You can quote, you can quote me on wrong. that. <laughs> Yeah, there's, um, uh, yes, is all I'm going to say for, in order to not make the show even more lewd than I've already made it, I'm just going to agree with all of those statements. All right, we better hurry up and get me attracted to someone because we have Shaggy Ted for boss and we have Rebecca for coach and here I am. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 Shaggy Beard, not Shaggy Ted. Although, mm. unfortunately, a thing everyone should know about me is that um, the the commercial version of Ted Lasso is definitely the most attracted I've ever been to him. That should tell you something about me also. That's wow. just because he looks like he has a bad credit rating in the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he seems like more of an asshole. That's my speech. In the words of the great Ted Lasso, I can't wait to unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, Rebecca's in bed, um, uh, and and she is reading a, a text chat from Banter. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the test. Chat. They're just they're just sort of flirting over guardian angels and dis- disrespecting them at your peril. Um, quick quick thing I want to toss in, Coach, and it's because I don't feel like I have it sorted out. The, there there's a there's a color story. At the very least, being told in this, like, in the terms of design and being told in this episode, if not beyond it, like, I feel like I would have to really go back now and, like, watch with this in mind. But the the orange and the green are definitely set up as um, banter versus, you know, essentially Luca. And and, and, and Luca, Luca, that- is, Luca is tumescent, by the way. Did you pick that up? You remember the, the app tumescent, which is just pictures of... Yes. Okay. So that, that's who that that's is. That's where Luca comes from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's too, so, you, yeah, too much. So there you go. So, so, but the, the green and the orange. And if you like, uh, there's some places where it comes up, but Dr. Sharon starts out in green in the episode. She ends up in orange. There's something going on with the green and the orange. I'm still wanting to like fully figure out, but it's definitely the choice for Rebecca between whether she's just going to kind of go her, her carnal route and not worry about it, or she's actually going to risk the emotional side. I love it. I didn't notice that color palette. Uh, like if there was commentary in the color palette, but let's keep an eye on it as we go. Um, uh, Rebecca is giggling in bed. Um, Luca asks if she wants sugar and we see his face for the first time. And I'm like, I, I was still like, wait, what is that? What the fuck is happening? But okay. All right. That's so, so confusing to me, but uh, you guys are totally fine with it. You're just like, you're just fine with, Everybody boning down whenever they want, which is great. If you're um, nuts for butts, have at it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. Awesome. I, I mean, legitimately, she is an incredibly attractive, rich, famous, powerful woman who was married to an asshole for a very long time. 
she should be getting her back loan out every once in a while. Like she, she deserves it. That's a vulgar way to say that, but okay. <laughs> I love, I love, <laughs> my love for boss is so immense. <laughs> like sometimes I think it might like set the city on fire. You just be like, she, <laughs> boss just says like back blown out and then LA just bursts into flames. They're like, oh my God, what happened? What happened? <laughs> someday, someday. I haven't reached that level yet, but someday. I appreciate the straightforward talk. Um, I like you both less and less as this podcast goes on. So that's fair. Um, <laughs> don't understand who who we are anymore. All right. So um, Luke asks if she wants sugar. She says no, thank you. Um, and then she uh, asks uh, if Luke if he believes in guardian angels. While she's this is while she's holding her her beautiful leg up in the air and, and studying her own foot, which I'm guessing if you were Becca, you would do. All the time. Why would you leave? Why wouldn't you just study yourself all the time? Um, Luca, are they like guardians of the galaxy? So super, super smart. Um, Rebecca doesn't love that response. Asks if he's asks if he's naked in the kitchen, and he says he's wearing a smile, which I thought was quite clever. Um, Rebecca says to get dressed I, as Mina. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go right ahead. Just to jump in real quick, I think that that's also an allusion to. Uh, Marilyn Monroe's famous line when she did one of her earlier nude photo shoots. Later, somebody said, didn't you have anything on at all? And she said, I think the radio. <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not a bad, a bad line. line at all. That's, that's a damn good line. That's that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. That's wonderful. Um, okay, so uh, Luca is our, our Marilyn Monroe in this episode. Um, Rebecca suggests he gets dressed as Mina, M-I-N-A. The cleaner will be there any second. And uh, true to form on cue, as soon as Luca closes the fridge door, we see an older woman who we assume to be Mina. Uh, he says, Mina, can I give you some tea? And she, uh, the older woman says, will there be biscuits with that? And Rebecca enters and exclaims, what, coach? Mother. And I was like, oh, the plot really just did thicken. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. So we get we meet Rebecca's mom, Deborah, And she informs us that she has left Rebecca's father and um, Luca is still trying to put things together and says, hold on, your mom is your cleaner, which I thought was, was, I love dumb care. I mean, I, I just love dumb people. And it's like the, the uh, Andy Dwyer uh, thing. I just, I can't get, can't get enough of them. or the people in cheers without like just dumb people sitting at a bar mm-hmm. saying dumb things. You know what I mean? It's just so amazing. Um, anyway, uh, Luca's a beat behind, uh, she start. uh, uh, Deborah starts to talk about Rebecca's father. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't respect me. And as Esther Perel says, it takes two people to create a pattern, but only one to change it. I am that change. What was your reaction to this boss? My reaction was, I think more along the lines of what Rebecca was experiencing than what her mom was actually saying. Uh, only because it, the, so I kind of want to start with the idea of who Esther Perel is. Uh, she's a, a Belgian American psychotherapist who does these very intense day long mm-hmm. counseling sessions with couples who are usually in crisis and also has written a bunch of books and has podcasts and is teaching people the world over how to have better intimate relationships. Um, so one, the fact that Rebecca's mom didn't come in saying 
your husband and uh, your father and I are getting divorced. This is what's happening. She came in referencing, I don't want to say a pop culture icon, but it's sort of a little bit trendier right now. It's uh, a self-help that a lot of especially maybe middle-aged or older people have latched on to. Um, And that is not to undermine Perel's work because I think she's phenomenal. But that is to say that maybe Rebecca's mom is coming to uh, an impudent conclusion uh, um, that this might not be as well thought out as we think it might be. And a lot of that was coming from Rebecca's reaction to it. Although Rebecca also just had her mom looking her boyfriend-ish, her, her boy toy directly in the donk. So there might be a lot of other things happening that it's not exactly about her father in this situation. Yeah, no, that's true. She was, Deborah. we see her eyes literally go down to, to check uh, Luca out. And so she's sure. speaking into the microphone, so to speak. And, um, and then uh, Rebecca asked him to put on some clothes. <laughs> Me, I just get that coach <laughs> a couple seconds. Uh, uh, Mina, um, played by Ruth De Silva, then walks in and drops the mop. And she says she'll start in the study. Now we go to wait, wait, wait before before you go before you go on. <clears throat> I just want to point out because I was trying, and I think you can help me with this. I was trying to decide whether my reaction to Luca naked in that kitchen was more of a racial thing, a cultural thing. But I was like, bruh, if nobody was coming over, why are you naked in the kitchen? Like that—that that was my reaction. Was I alone there? I was like, why is he naked? Even if. Mina wasn't coming. If mom wasn't popping in, why are you in the kitchen naked? No, I was alone there. Okay, look, can we can we can we unpa- unpack this a little bit? Is this like no no no? Is this because <laughs> Coach and I talk about black versus white things all the time? Like we have made a twenty five year friendship about it. Oh, <laughs> it's shit. true though. But it's I was like, what like, wait, is going you guys on? Do that? Here? I was like, what yeah. is happening right now? Why are you naked well, in the kitchen? One of my favorite things is Coach telling me about when he was at Yale. I'm going to uh, just drop drop the bomb that, again, Coach is an Ivy League genius. And him him, and I assume some other – I was at Black Fraternity Brothers. Yeah. Watching, watching white boys streak naked. And, and, like, I can only imagine their faces and, like, the, the clicking tongues and shaking heads. And we It was a lot of shaking heads. I was not in fraternity, just to be clear. I don't want anybody to think I'm, I'm, I'm claiming stuff that's not mine. But, but I did hang out with a lot of guys who were in fraternity. And we would just be, like, white people. Like, it would just, like, it would just be, that would be the whole conversation. Like, it would be, like... Oh wait, wait! Wasn't there like a wasn't there a black guy with them one time? There's a black oh woman or, that ran with them. a black wo- yes, that woman. Yes, and, right. and I remember just thinking that's about as lost as lost gets. Like, what is going <laughs> on? I was, I was a lot less open to people doing what they want to do when I was 19. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but I was just yeah. like, wow! I was Not like, me. wow, sis, wow! Like, wow. I don't even know if you can make it back from there. I don't even know. If you, I don't, <laughs> now I don't that this know. is on your resume, I'm not sure where we're going to go from here. But yeah, this- I, I will. I will say that I, I don't know if it's a white black thing. Although I would like to discuss that and unpack that as well. Um, I, in fact, am not naked in my kitchen. 
but that is only because I have gotten some burn some places cooking some time that are not pleasant. That's, that, that's at least one consideration. Yeah. But sorry, go ahead, boss. But, but no, otherwise, like I live alone and there aren't any windows that look into my apartment very directly. So if I'm naked and I need to go into the other room, I do. And I'm surprisingly naked a lot, I guess. I own a lot of robes. Uh, so I guess if I need to go to the front door, I could, but I don't know. <laughs> like, the plants don't care if I'm naked and I don't either, so we're good. I like it. I like that you point out that you do own a lot of robes. If if a nudity I, yes. emergency should arise, I am prepared. Yes. Okay. Yes. If if Amazon shows up, I can get to the front door Got without it. an issue. Got it. We're gonna we're gonna chalk this up to a possible cultural difference, um, and then we get our intro, and then we uh, pull out of the intro, and Ted is walking through the Richmond parking lot, and he is just chatting it up. You guys know he is happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm like, is this a, is this just I guess it's the four game win streak. It'll do that to you after eight ties to start the season. Um, he, uh, he says hi to this, uh, 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 woman, Liza. And he says he liked her Instagram post and she's keeping the ice bucket challenged alive. And he says hi to the, uh, groundskeeper, Derek and, and, uh, mimics honking the horn and, and, uh, like a little kid, like on a field trip. I don't know if you guys ever used to do that. Um, oh yeah. I saw it was, oh yeah. Right. You ever see Yeah, honk the yeah. horn? Yeah. I saw it the other day and, um, I was with my 12 year old in the car. We were walking by and there was like a bunch of little kids like on a field trip walking and they started doing the pull down thing. There was an 18 wheeler coming and uh, they started doing like the pull down the horn thing and the, the horn, the guy acquiesced. He goes, bah, bah. and my 12 year old goes, that seems like the dumbest possible. Like imagine being thrilled by a truck blowing its horn. And I- <laughs> so loud and i was like oh god i've made like such a cynical kid he was just like shaking he's like imagine that that's what dazzles you is a horn i'm like, that seems really and I, I'm like I, oh god and, feels age appropriate yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, i've yeah. done it i've yeah. done it. Uh, it it just does yeah. seem like from a bygone era so it kind of charmed me to see little kids still do it but anyway um ted is ted is doing the whole thing go ahead boss Ted is doing his, this is, I think I mentioned in maybe the last episode that I uh, did a Ted Lasso saying hi to everybody and Jason Sudeikis from Where the Millers saying, fuck off real life, Ned Flanders. This is the real life Ned Flanders scene. This is exactly where I pulled it from. This is exactly. In my rewatch. Oh, by the way, I braced myself. If you guys have been following anything about the new season, season three, that's uh, shooting, you hear a little friction around how hard it is for them to get episode six right and mm, episode six of this interesting episode six of this season is it's like game of thrones used to be episode nine like oh dear god brace yourself for episode nine or whatever mm-hmm. episode six this season is we're going to get into it um episode six in season one uh was the episode called uh two aces if you remember mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is this is when rebecca fucks uh uh ted over and sends Jamie back to Man City. I don't know if you remember all that stuff. Oh, but yeah. It, I mean, yeah. Hard, yeah, hard, hardcore uh, episode. So um, anyway, I was braced, braced for this. And then in my rewatch, I said, okay, I was thinking about the kebab shop in last episode and how Ted was just like, he was so over the top. 
And then we opened the, he remember how he was just, just like, couldn't, I don't know. He, he was almost like manic. And then in this episode, he is like peak Ted Lasso. This is the highest level of him walking in of whatever that Ned Flanders ish kind of stuff is. And, and I thought, Oh, okay. Now I see what's happening here. And we'll, and we'll get into it a little bit uh, as it, as we go, but there is a definite arc of him. I, I'm going to, I'm going to chalk it up to compensation. Um, but we'll talk about that as, as we get a little further into this, into this uh, episode. So, um, Hey, Liam, tell your mom happy birthday for me. And whatever gift you end up getting her, let her know it's from both of us. Huh? And then Liam turns out to be who, boss? <laughs> he, he's the bad laugher from the episode when Higgins didn't want to room with him because of his terrible laugh. Yeah, he's laugh, laughing Liam. And what I enjoyed the laughing Liam in particular because over his shoulder... The um, receptionist, whose name is now escaping me for a moment, uh, but she, oh, Isabel, uh, Isabel um, makes a face. Like, it's almost like, oh, God, Ted, why'd you tell a joke? Like, I just, like, I, and I thought, this is part of why I love this show, is that they are going to keep this world going. She could just sit there and look up at Liam and absorb the punchline and collect her check. But there's a whole life beyond, right? Like she likes Liam, but oh god, he's laughing again. Yeah. Anyway, I thought yeah, it was yeah. I thought it was noteworthy. I love the I love when they when they close these gaps for us. And you know, you ever do that test where they say, "Oh, um, uh, a woman uh, a woman goes to visit her doctor, and the doctor tell uh, tells her that she has is uh, was pregnant or whatever like that." And then they say it's a psychological quiz, and then they say, "Hey." Who who did you think was the doctor? Was the doctor a man or a woman? And I'm like, ah, shit. I thought it was a man. You know, it's like that mm. thing. And I had in my mind thought laughing Liam was a white guy. Yep. And so, right. That's and so great. I was like, I was like, oh, this is so awesome. That anyway, I was just like, it's just a cool choice, and I just loved it. Anyway, and I'm owning my um my my latent racism in case, but uh, that's on the table. But I think that the show does a great job of that. I mean, even just to harken back to Luca in the open, you know, that was some gratuitous, that was some straight up gratuitous male nudity. And I've seen versions of that joke my whole life with some woman standing there naked who did not need to be naked to tell a joke. And it was interesting to just watch a scene like that. And it was the dude. Like, I was like, there were a hundred other jokes y'all could have told, but y'all just decided to have his beer butt in the scene. And I'm like, all right, that's fair. That's that's it, it doesn't even come close to even in the score. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's right. But it's a step in the right direction. Um, OK, so uh, we moved to uh, Sharon and Colin coming down the stairs. Uh, this is Dr. Fieldstone. She is clearly at the end of a session with Colin. She thinks he's doing a great job. She likes his new mantra. And and Colin says, what, boss? I am a strong and capable man. I am not a piece of shit. And then what does uh, Dr. Fieldstone say, uh, Coach? You don't need the second part. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, I, I laughed out loud. I, that is a, a literal LOL for me. Yeah, yeah. I thought so, too. I am not, be, I am not a piece of shit being part of your mantra. It's so, <laughs> so counterproductive. Um, I, I, okay, so I did laugh at that. I thought it was very funny. But also, I don't have any problem with them including that second part. Especially because 
uh, it, it, so I think we mentioned in one of the last episodes that um, they referenced Welcome to Wrexham, the documentary on FX about Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds purchasing a Welsh football club. And the backup goalie talks about how social media is fucking relentless with him. Like, he can do great game after game after game, and he blows one goal, and they're like, you're a piece of shit. Fire him. Get him out of here. You shouldn't even play in the league. Like, so I think especially when we're talking about professional athletes who are famous to an extent, maybe you need to reinforce I'm not a piece of shit because you're hearing it so often. Like, if you need that for you, I'm uh, supporting it. But Colin specifically, if you as a footballer need to say I'm not a piece of shit, I think you should do it. I like it. I like it, boss. So I um, you know how hard how they say you you teach your children, uh, like the worst thing you can do with your children is talk about all your successes and how great you were because it puts this unnecessary pressure on them to try to meet up with this impossible nostalgic standard that you've somehow curated in your mind that you're better than you are. So I always am really careful about that, and um, I also try not to only share my failures. But we were talking about social media at the t- dinner table the other night and the effect of it. And I was like, listen, there's just people out there that have a lot of things going on and you can do your best work and really try and and people might not like it. And the criticisms can be harsh. And so I opened up the last thing I had written on the internet, which is an article I really worked hard on. And I went to one of the comments and I said, all right, children, here's one of the comments for, you remember me working the other day on this, on this thing and I was working really hard on it. Here's the first comment. This sucks. And... <laughs> They, that is a true story. This sucks. Someone took the time to just hurt my feelings. And and, and listen, this is what happened. You just like for every, you know, it's usually uh, the numbers uh, go tilt so far toward, you know, the trolls. Typically, Um, I tend to have a really lucky uh, thing with comments because I tend to get more good ones than bad ones. Thank God. But it, but you have to be, you have to build up this, this thing. And, and for professional athletes, I mean, can you imagine like if you're a football player and, and you miss a goal or if you're an American football player and you drop a touchdown? I mean, just, I can't even people, the parasocial relationships that happen with athletes where people think they have some relationship with them or their personal uh, identity or happiness is tied to the actions of a stranger mm-hmm. um, can get crazy and cost it. Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we've heard stories, you know, around the world of, you know, footballers being killed. So, I mean, you, 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 you got it going that far, never mind um, Twitter. But I, I watched a video for another thing I was working on. I watched a video about Bill Buckner and his whole thing with Boston and when they had him back and they were all, you know, we forgive you. And his wife was talking about the fact that, you know, they had to move. They got threats, threats against her, threats against their kids. And she was like, Boston forgives us. Like, and I thought, yeah, like the, even the, even it's offensive all the way out to we forgive you. Like, what the fuck do you mean? The ball didn't hop. That's all that happened. Meanwhile, you threatened to, to harm my children because I missed a ground ball, but you forgive me? I just thought, you know, our relationship to these people is is pretty insane in mass. 
for for those people who don't know who Bill, Billy Blackner is, um, he, he was he had an e- th- theoretical easy grounder to end the World Series, and the Red Sox would come off of a uh, uh, you know hundred year dry spell. I can't remember how long the the uh, curse of Bam- the Bambino was at that time, mm-hmm. um, but and and it went right through his legs, and that was it. And the uh, the Mets, it was the Mets, right? God, it's been yeah, a while. yeah, it was it, it, it was the Mets, and and one day this not so that's nineteen eighty six, I think. I was, was eighty six yeah, Mets, yep. And one day that's not today because we really want to get into this, and this is going to take us way off of this episode. But we have to discuss winning mentalities and losing mentalities, and the fact that that wasn't even the last game of the series, and everybody remembers that Bill Buckner ruined everything. And well, and then later on, once social media, you know, one of the two things that ever happened because of that well because of social media uh the second one being the hayden christensen redemption tour that recently just happened but people were like billy buckner was a like golden glove player for like what 10 years <laughs> something yeah. crazy yeah no, he's he a like great a baseball yeah. player he, he wasn't yeah. good he was a great baseball player but yeah and you're right, and 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 uh, his wife has the right thing. Like we, you know, you forgive us is is nuts. Um, anyway, um, uh, this is a Ted Lasso podcast, right? I'm just trying to remember. Is it? Yeah, I think it's Ted Lasso. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry, I've not checked the damn thing. I'm gonna start now. I'm gonna start checking myself now. All right, here we go. No, no, no me too. I, listen, this is what happens when you get uh, two people with ADHD and then one crazy person on a podcast. So uh, I don't have ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ted enters and says hi to Colin and then asks Sharon if she got in any trouble last night and she says nothing I care to speak about at work and I'm like this is so nice remember when I couldn't stand Dr. Fieldstone I'm like man she's really she's really become part of the team I like that oh you're more mysterious than David Blaine reading a Sue Grafton novel at Area 51 <laughs> all some pretty mysterious stuff alright uh, coach <laughs> is that the one you hated no actually but I, I, I knew you I knew you would hate it Actually, that one was fine with me. I thought that was just like sort of, yep, that's that's how Ted would express that idea. Yep. And, uh, of course, he still hasn't had a session uh, 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 with her because she invites uh, she, she she invites him to make a session. She says, make an appointment whenever he needs to talk. And he's, he makes a joke to avoid the session. Um, and he says, I talk all the time, Doc. Just let me uh, follow you around for 10 minutes. And after five, you'll tell me to hush my butt. Yeah, and this for me, this is a really interesting moment um, in the context of the full episode. But also, this is Ted, for me, pretty much at the height of his Ted Lasso program fixer, right? What did he say? The whole organization has got to be on the same page. And finally, they are, right? Right down to jamie making the extra pass and i would point out that they're wearing orange uniforms in that scene so i'm I'm holding on to my orange green thing but i think i think this is like on a certain level and it's interesting that it's halfway through the series ted's initial uh project is complete the team is a team you've got your diamond dogs roy's home Everybody's where they're supposed to be. Rebecca cares and is doing what she can to help us win. I mean, this is he knows everybody's name and he knows he knows everybody and he knows when their freaking mother's birthdays and are. And they're winning. And they're winning. Yep. So this is like he did this it. Is, this is what this is Wichita State Shockers territory, right? That's now. right. That's right. 
This is the moment. This is the moment when he learned the dance that he did after they won the championship. I love it. He goes on to say he sees uh, Keely and uh, and Roy uh, standing close to each other, or, or kind of armor. I don't know what, what position they were in. They were super close. And he says, "Hey, I tell you what, I'm shipping the heck out of you two. And I was like, "Can he ship someone that's already a ship? Is that possible? Can we can we um, ask the millennial on staff?" No, you can't. It, it, the idea of shipping a couple is a couple usually on a TV show, possibly a movie. It seems like they should be getting together and you want them to be dating. I think it, from my experience, uh, it came about first around Jim and Pam in the office. Although that was also the influence of the internet. Like I'm sure that there were people who were desperate for Sam and Diane from Cheers to finally mm. kiss. Uh, but yes. no, once a couple is established, don't ever think about their sex life ever again. It, it, it's a little bit different when it's a TV couple, but like there gets to be a point where now it's just weird and you like are a, a bit of a voyeur rather than a cheerleader. So no, here's, especially here's what's weird. Life, no. Here's what's weird to me is that I understood shipping to be like, I would like the two of you to get together and have a relationship and you have somehow made shipping. I'm going to imagine the two of them in flagrante delicto. Oh Yeah. No, no, no. That is I don't know what that means, but I, it had I mean, lick in it. So I'm pretty sure that I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Is that yep. an ice cream reference? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's a little of both. Like, less, yes, you want them to live happily ever after. Or if you're me and you think happily, happily ever after is fine, I just want to see Matt Sweeney and Laura Moon make out. That's it. I don't care. They, like, maybe they'll be in love. Maybe they won't. I don't care. Just put your face on his face. This is all I'm interested in. This episode had some of the best, I thought, throwaway one-liners uh, of the series. Um, Roy's refer- uh, response to Ted was, I'm calling HR. Deadpan, serious. And I was like, oh, God, I love that line. Um, then uh, Ted says, uh, yeah, well, Mr. Puffin stuff. Uh, tell Mr. Puffin stuff I said hello. And then he yells, that is a joke for people born in the early to mid-70s. I, I like that joke. In for for this particular reason, this that is that he. It's pretty brilliant to be able to drop that in for the audience, most of whom are not going to get it as the joke acknowledges, but it actually worked in the scene because he would also be saying that to them, right? Like neither would neither would they get the joke necessarily, so it made sense that he would yell that back. So I, I, I sort of like the way that was uh, executed. And this is a, for people who were not born in the mid-early 70s. This is a joke. Uh, this is – he says, I'm calling HR. And and uh, Ted says, well, tell Mr. Puff and stuff. I said, hello. This is a this is a uh, reference to the puppet show, HR Puff and Stuff. So um, brilliant piece of comedy there. I actually um, – I just I – just, uh, it's not ha-ha funny, but again – I am very thankful for um, for this show and and just the fact that it seems to line up with with a forgotten generation. Um, we cut to the coach's room as Nate is somehow talking to Beard about the shape of tortellini. Did you guys catch that? And Beard's like trying to stay awake. I didn't. I I did not process what he was talking about, but it was clear to me that Beard was like, "You're still saying words." That was definitely the vibe. 
I don't think you can change the shape of tortellini because then it would be something else. You ever see any of those videos online? You want to talk about like if you have like a weird OCD thing, not 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 that actually I shouldn't say OCD in that context, but sometimes whatever it is about the human psyche where when you mow the lawn in lines, it feels satisfying. If you ever go watch one of those pasta making videos where they cut up pasta, oh, oh my God, it's like crack. Okay. Okay. Yes. Number one, I know exactly what you're talking about. Number two, when you said people who mow their lawn in straight lines, you mean everybody. Because if you don't do that, there's something incredibly abnormal well, about you. No, why would no, you no not, but you know, why would you not? Because, Bob, why would you not? Boss, sometimes people will say, like, let's say you have a, uh, oh my God, can't believe what a, we are so, this is crazy. All right. But if you have I mean, a front lawn, I, 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 if you have a front lawn, right? And you have like a, let's say you have a square or a rectangular front lawn. Some people will say, I'm going to go from the house to the street. Some people will say, I'm going to go from the driveway yeah. to the neighbor's fence. And then really interesting mm-hmm. people will say, I'm going to go diagonally. No, no, no. no. You, 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 you mispronounced uh, weird. It's <laughs> not interesting. It's, it's, I understand where you're coming from. Um, it's like the people who uh, they take like whatever bills they have and they just put them in their wallet. The, the weirdos, because the normal people arrange the bills with the face up and they put it in the wallet facing you. And also it needs to be in denominations smallest to largest front to back of the wallet. Obviously, this is how normal so you put, people you, you, are in their lives. Who is, who, oh, that's, uh, uh, are you going to be under arrest shortly, boss? Is that something that's happening? Yeah, we, what do you mean by shortly? <laughs> is what I want to know. <laughs> so you, I, I'm guessing you hold your playing cards and your, and your, your bills and your wallet similarly. Is that correct? Yes, of okay. course. Obviously. All right. Oh, definitely playing cards. I mean, you know, let's don't be a sociopath. I, I don't know why that's so satisfying, but uh, but yeah, right. Don't be so right. Like like suits alike, uh, aligned alike, and 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 from lowest to highest. Um, uh, I used to uh, snowplow uh, in the winter to make a little extra money. I had a pickup truck and a plow, and hell, I'd go anywhere. Um, and um, uh, you would do like you'd get a job where it was like uh, driveways and things like that, and it's such a bitch. It's just a terrible. Usually, you have to pull the, the the snow back from the from the, the garage and then push it. It stinks. And then you'd get a job where it would say, "Hey, do this parking lot," and you could do these nice, clean, long lines, and it was like so, so, so nice. Ugh, mm. I miss it. Love it. Yeah, I love I love the way you said, "I'll go anywhere," and I feel like it deserved. Uh, I, I feel like it deserved at least a, a chuckle. I was slow, and I didn't want to interrupt the rest of what you were saying. But that was that was that was great great delivery. I always feel bad for people in podcasts when they make a joke that's obviously like an aside, and the other hosts keep going. And you're like, you know, that deserved at least a chuckle. I'm not saying it was hilarious. I'm not saying it should have derailed the show. But that 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 deserved a moment. And so I'm giving you the moment I I often miss in other shows. One of my final um, uh, notes I will, I will tell you was I was driving home snow, snow pl- from snow plowing one one morning, um, and you plow usually through the night. And it must have been about seven o'clock and I'm driving home and on my way home, like not too far from my house, maybe a mile and a half from my house. I see this ancient dude. I mean, ancient trying to plow, just shovel his driveway. And he just started. And I'm like, he is, he is so old. Like he should not have to plow, you know, shovel this driveway. So I pull up next to him and it's this big honking, you know, huge pickup truck and lights, you know, flashing on the top, the whole thing. 
And I say, uh, sir, uh, would you like me to plow you out? And he's skeptical because he's a vet. He's been around, you know, he's probably a world war one vet by the looks of him. And, and I, and he says, how, uh, how much? And I said, no, no, for free. I'll just, I'll just do it for free. And, um, he couldn't believe it, you know, couldn't believe it. And so it takes me all of eight minutes and I plow him out and he waves. Thank you. And then I go by and I, uh, go to plow every time there's snow for two years, I go and I plow this drive. I just do it. I don't even ask him. I just go take care of it. And, um, and then, uh, and, and his thanks was he would, I don't even know how hard it was for him to get to the door. He was so old. I found out later that he was 102 years old. And, um, oh my God. Yeah. Like when I, when I say he was old, I'm telling, like he was out there at 102 trying to whatever to, to shovel. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, he's 63. He was, he was frail. And, um, for a couple of years, it was, he would come to the door and he would wave. And then I noticed one time I, I do the thing and, I, and doesn't wave and I do the thing and he doesn't wave. And then I, and, and of course, you know, the end of this, um, is, Oof. yeah, is that in the, somewhere in the interim, he had, yeah, uh, right. But at least I was like, all right, at least I did something, uh, nice for it. That feels like a short story, like that would be in like a collection, like, you know, like in eighth grade, you used to read, like, you know, anyway, if that's a, that's a really, that's a, that's a really cool story, actually. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I thought you'd like that's, it. that's a very, very cool story. I just, uh, Coach Bishop, I don't know why you're reading Cormac McCarthy in eighth grade. That's kind of a rough story <laughs> to be introducing to thirteen year olds. Yeah, right. You may be right. Dear- I may have been a little uh, a little advanced in my reading choices. <laughs> um, okay, so Ted um, says he's fired up for the uh, FA quarterfinal, FA Cup quarterfinals, a March Madness tournament in the middle of our season featuring every dang team in the country. Yes, please. I mean, what what do we got? Davis versus Goliath, right? You know, Rocky versus Apollos, Steve Weeby's against Billy Mitchell's. Um, what's another one, Coach? And um, uh, uh, Steve we- Weebers, uh, Weebers, uh, Weebies, how do you pronounce that? And Billy Mitchell uh, were from uh, King of Kong, right? I think that was from the uh, – anyway, uh, well, King of Kong was the documentary about it, but I think the two of them fought for the high score in Donkey Kong. And then what does Beard say, boss, uh, as his version of the, the uh, David versus Goliath battle? Pearl Jam versus Ticketmaster, which I think makes sense. I kind of peg Beard as a Pearl Jam fan. Yeah, I could see that. I could see. Yeah, right? yeah, I could see that. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know any Gen Xer that wasn't. I don't know. How about, how about over in over in Flatbush, Coach? Any Pearl Jam fans there? <laughs> Pearl <Pro>, Jam. <laughs> I wouldn't say they were huge. I wouldn't say they were huge, but um, I was aware of Pearl Jam because I, I of course, lived in two worlds and went to high school where Pearl Jam was huge. So I was aware of Pearl Jam. But yeah, I, if I'm honest, once a song comes on and I'm singing, you're like, "That's Pearl Jam." I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool, yeah." But like, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, "Name three Pearl Jam songs," you'd be cleaning up brains. Like that's what you. Is that right? You you can't name three oh, yeah. per- really. Oh my, oh, yeah. oh my God. This was a, wow. This must have been a white Gen X or suburban phenomenon. Cause I can name I, all of them. I, I don't, and I wasn't yeah. even, I, I don't sure. even think, yeah, I don't even yeah. think of myself as yeah. a huge Pearl Jam fan, but there was like, uh, yeah. Don't call me daughter. You know, that doesn't ring a bell coach. And I, but here's the thing. Like I, there are several songs that I know I've been like nodding my head, like, Oh, I remember this one. And then I find out, you know, so it's not, I'm not, this is in no way knocking Pearl Jam. It's just my experience. Like, I think the music's great. I just, it just wasn't into it. 
in my experience, you can if you suck at singing, you can still kind of get away with a Pearl Jam song at that register. Like if you do karaoke oh, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of growling. And I wasn't a big Pearl Jam fan, but I get that. I would also like to mention for um, some more of the millennials, maybe quick trick I learned this weekend is that if you try to put the tongue on the top of the roof of your mouth and sing, you sound like Dave Matthews. Yes, yes, right. I've heard that. <laughs> it's great. It works. Oh, that's funny. I know someone who's like a yeah. huge, like follow them around the country type of fan, like plans her year around, like this is how much I'll be spending on Dave Matthews tickets, then spends more. Yes. So um, yes. I have got to learn about what you wait a second. Wait a second. I- Present tense. <laughs> Pre- wait. Oh, yeah. Are you serious? Currently. Oh my God. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yes. No. They're, I- like they're a they're a thing. It's it. Re- yeah. It reminds me of. Um, is it like Jerry the dead Garcia kind of shit? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. that kind yeah. of a vibe, yo. Have you like, been? Have they, you been to one of those shows, boss? Yeah, have I been to a Dave? No, Matthews I mean, I mean like show? in the current era where they are, I guess, replacing like are turning into the fish in the dead or whatever, or have turned into oh. that. Oh, uh, yeah. So I went to a show last year, and I went to a show this year. I I still see him. I went to a bunch more shows back when I got that stupid ass tattoo on my hip. But yes, no, I've seen them. I and I know people who have like traveled for shows like been to the gorge in seattle and been to red rocks specifically to see the dave man i've heard about gorge so i know that's a real yeah, thing yeah like mm-hmm. I, and i don't know anything <laughs> about it i just know like <laughs> she goes on and on about this one's yeah. t- and then they're a community so like yes. they talk like they talk shit about each other and then there's some <laughs> that are friends then some of them know that, like, then some of them find out who was talking shit about them, so then you might see some shit about that. Like, it's, it's a whole motherfucking thing, man. It's a, yep. It's a whole thing. Man. Okay. Uh, Ted continues asking Beard and Nate if a team not in the Premier League ever won the whole chimichanga, and Beard says eight times. Eight times, really? And Higgins emerges um, from below the window behind Ted, and he, he says, uh, not for 40 years. Um, Ted is surprised to see Higgins, uh, who is in floating office mode, but, you know, no problem. And, and, and um, uh, Higgins says it's fine because he's a flaneur by nature. Um, Ted asks Beard what that is. And, of course, uh, Beard yawning says what, coach? He's a wanderer. Um. I want to get into the Flanura thing, but I think this is another example of them doing a really good job of you're in a new world, but actually we're 18 episodes or whatever it is, I guess 16 episodes into the series. So you can't quite do it like we did in episode one, season one. Um, but it could have taken a long time or been really clumsy to, to introduce the FA cup. And instead it was just sort of like a fun deal. It wasn't Ted going, what's that? Um, so anyway, I just I just wanted to call that. I thought that was like pretty efficient and good writing. But yes. No, it is. It's good. It's, it's exposition, He's but they, they make it fun. They make it fun. Yeah. I don't I mean I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting that Higgins self-identifies as a flaneur because I'm like, that dude's the least wandering person. Of all of them, <laughs> right? I mean, this. I guess mm-hmm. he's harkening back to his bass player roots, and that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Is he still sees himself as that guy on some level? But we, like Rebecca, can't imagine him ever being anything but in a suit in those glasses. Uh, Roy is now in the room, and he asks Beard, "What the fuck is wrong with him?" And Beard says, "Nothing." 
And then there's a pause is that Jane and I got back together. And then we get a bunch of half-hearted uh, sort of, oh, good, good, you know, good. And Higgins asks, is that a really good idea? Coach, I, I see you unmuting. <laughs> and and I'm like, the thing that's going to – and I should just look at the time because I know, I know that we can talk about this, just the two of us for sure. And, and, and boss, I hope you'll explain the, the, the women's side of it. But this is a vast question in the world of men. And, um, and, and there are good points for both sides of it. Um, coach, you want to, want to say something about this? Yeah. I mean, it's funny as you say the part about both sides of it, because at first, I mean, I bounced during this conversation, I bounced between, you know, like when he said it out, I, I, it, I gasped, I guess that's the word that's closest to what I did. I was like, Oh, oh. like, <laughs> like, right. oh shit. You know, like, so I braced myself at that moment. So obviously I knew a line had been crossed, whether it should have been crossed or not is a whole other conversation. But I definitely knew, like, uh-oh, like, you should not have said that. And the, and the show makes a point, right? I mean, we get we get close-ups on everyone looking over at Higgins, like, are you serious? I, I This is so fascinating because I think I grew up the son of an immigrant, and I thought, uh, you get in other people's business whenever the fuck you want. Cause that's what my mom did. <laughs> she would just like break up fights on the street. And I'm not, I, I, I like, she would become part of whatever. And she had no problem interjecting herself in anything. She had no problem telling, you know, the, the lady at church that she didn't like her new husband. Like, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, so, and, and I granted I was horrified. So I went the other way. And then I, I went to some snotty uh, New England boarding schools and I saw that the waspy way to handle these things um, is to take the, the uh, Sudeikis or, or the Ted Lasso route and you just stay the fuck out of it. Um, and um, uh, it, it's it's anyway i thought it's i think it's fascinating um uh uh, we'll we'll get into it a little bit but beard uh gets sees that he has a couple missed calls from jane doesn't react to what higgins says and runs out to presumably call her back um and then he calls uh higgins calls an emergency diamond dogs meeting emergency emergency diamond dogs meeting and they offer uh, Roy to stay in and um, Roy as I remember it was like fuck no or <laughs> whatever he slams the door <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, Higgins then tries to do this thing where he enters the room Dukes of Hazard style um, and and Ted makes an Earls of Risk joke is that the joke you hated the Earls of Risk oh no actually that uh, that one was pretty bad I'm not gonna lie to you it made me laugh because it was very Ted-ish but that's a bad that's a, in itself it is a bad joke but no that I will I will let you know I will notify you when we get to the what I regard as the comedic bottom of this series I, oh my god I'm so excited for this um, so what I like that uh, there was a part of Nate like very subtly being like well you could just walk around like if you had walked around you'd already be here you could like walk mm-hmm. I was I was like I really so it's like Nate just has a better idea um and he's looking at some crazy people and then higgins just gives up and says he's gonna stay at the window um Mm. and higgy bottoms called this puppy so he's got to start barking um he brings up how he thinks jane and beard aren't very healthy together and he's a little bit disappointed that neither uh that neither ned or tate back uh nate (laughs) ned or tate uh that he is a little bit disappointed that either nate or ted uh, did not back him up when he when he brought that up because he thinks it's a universal feeling among the Diamond Dogs. 
And uh, I liked this. Ted says, yeah, I appreciate the, oh, appreciate the call out. Uh, I know why I didn't say anything, because uh, you should never say anything. <laughs> I thought that, that yeah, I that, that got a laugh out of me, just that line alone. Yeah. I love where it went from there, but that was, because that captured it, right? Like, that captured, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, if literally she was standing behind him with a hatchet. You just go, yeah. hey, have you seen have you seen Jane lately? Um, but yeah, stay out of it. I absolutely love that line. Um, one of my favorite people, if you ask him why he doesn't like, what do you mean you don't like asparagus? How could you not like asparagus? And his answer is, oh, because of the taste. Because of the taste. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the taste that's, that does it. Yeah. it uh, oh, it's, uh, it's the taste. That's a great answer. I didn't say anything because you never say anything. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great answer. Okay. So um, Ted says you can't, you shouldn't, you could, because you should never say anything. Um, and then we get some real character insights. Ted tells a story about basically this friend. He, he told him, uh, you know, uh, that the, the woman could, his friend's uh, high school to, to college. Um, so he was with the same girl from high school to college. And um, that she, you know, he confided to his friend that she could be a little bit of pill. And we find out that Ted did that in his best man speech. Um, then Nate uh, jumps in and he says uh, that he tries to be outwardly supportive of all relations due, due to his dad sabotaging one of his first loves. In year four, he sat uh, me and my classmate Nadia Shookums down in the living room and he said we he thought we could both do better. And she apparently listened to him. And Ted says, well, that's a heaping spoonful of truth, right? True soup right there. I, I mean, this show being on one level so much about fathers um fathers and sons i guess primarily although not exclusively um i i thought i thought that was a great insight into nate it was to me it was the serious version of him saying that he had made the the box with his niece and and ted going and i love insights into your personal life i mean like it's one thing for your parents to not like your girlfriend. It's another thing to tell her that she could do better. It's another thing altogether to sit the two of you down in the living room and say that. To, like, if anything, Nadia was like, um, they're crazy and I never want to go back to that house. So, yeah, we're breaking up. I mean, she may have still liked me for all I damn know. Uh, so I thought that I thought that was a great way to to, to put us back in touch with Nate and how he got to be where he is, especially in a scene where amongst his clique, the diamond dogs are his clique. He still didn't feel empowered to speak up on something as important and earth shaking as maybe don't climb through the window. Like he couldn't find his voice <laughs> literally like with his friends. Like, it's not like he was like with the team or with this or that. And Oh my God. And you know, Oh, we're back to a taste of grease or whatever. like, it was like, these are his people. Like this is where he is asked explicitly to give his opinion on every occasion, and even then, he couldn't summon the voice to go, "Hey, walk around." So, number one, I want to say that that is an excellent point about the fact that maybe Nadia was like, "Hey, your dad's insane," and uh, it, maybe it wasn't Nate. Maybe it was in fact the fact that his dad was so pushy that she was like, "I'm not involved in this at all." Especially early in a relationship, yes, you would fail because of that, no question. Um, and I'd like to uh, only follow up with, uh, in terms of not speaking out loudly enough in front of your group of friends uh, in college, 
buddies of mine had a house party with some of their friends from back home. And I went home at like three in the morning. And when I came back at 10 so that we could all go out to breakfast, they were still awake and drinking. This wasn't that they woke back up and started drinking again. It's that they had decided to continue throughout the morning hours. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and at one point they decided they were in fact going to have shots that they set on fire before drinking. And at one point, a little bit of the on fire liquid spilled onto the hardwood floor. No. And was, yes. Then nothing bad happened. The house did not burn down. I need to tell you that. Damn right. it. Oh my God. I was like, oh my God. Oh. Holy shit. No, no. It's just that there was a little bit of on fire liquid next to them as they were sitting on the floor drinking. And one of their buddies said, "Hey, hey guys, the uh, uh, the floor the floor is on fire. Hey, hey, hey guys, hey guys, the floor. Oh, okay, I got." And then just walked over and stamped it out himself. Oh my god! So sometimes maybe it's easier just to right not say. I, I fair enough. It was worth the story. If nothing else, <laughs> I'm glad I made the point so I could hear that story. That's uh, wow, wow. Coach, in response to you saying that he's among his friends, um, I will say this. Uh, in, in my rewatch, I noticed, yes, yes, for lack of a better term, these are the closest people to him. Um, I was noticing last episode, and I don't know if we touched on it because I can't remember if we did or not. But um, you know how Isaac sort of goes and plays uh, soccer and get re- rekindles his love for the sport, and then he warms up differently with the team and everybody notices it. There's a there's a point where he comes. Yep. He you remember that? And there's a point where he goes around does special yep. handshakes with everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's got a special handshake with Beard. They bow with their arms behind their back. He does a really intricate one with Ted, and he goes to Nate, and he doesn't have a handshake with Nate, and so he straightens That's his right. tie, and and doesn't really know what to do, and is just having fun. And Nate re- recoils from that. Hmm. He wants no parts of this. I mean, it's really interesting to watch it evolve, but it's, I mean, even this piece about climbing through the window, right? Like it's quite, it's quite within the lasso way. If someone decides that they want to climb through a window for the first impulse to be, how can I help you do that? Right. And and eventually it might be, okay, maybe there's a better way or whatever. But if you're trying to climb through a window, the lasso way is to figure out how can I help you That's right. Then we're going to do that. And, and Nate and and Nate at different points shows um, a lack of patience with that that sort of way of being, and it's just like, no, do it this way, and that's how it should be done. And I and I think that's I think that's relevant as the character continues to develop. Well, if we put it on paper, we'd be like, all right, we're going to goal set as a team, and the goal is to get Higgins through the window, and then uh, Ted is on board with that goal to his be- whatever he can do to help. And Nate wants to change the goal outright because he doesn't agree with it. So, um, okay. Uh, uh, that's a heap and he- a spoonful of truth soup right there. Um, Ted says it's bad. He thinks it's bad business to get up in anyone else's business. Uh, Higgins says he understands and then does his gag, which you will remember. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong here about the way I articulate this. Anytime Higgins feels an internal moral dilemma, or an ethical crisis of some sort, he gets a gag reflex. Um, uh, yes, I would add a, just a, a little bit of nuance to that. It's when I think it's also when he 
would be able to speak up. That he he it's it's the suppressing. I think I think what we hear is almost like literally the words, him pushing that back down. Got it, um, Higgins. Uh, let's see the Diamond Dogs dismount. Uh, they say even though this was an unsanctioned meeting, uh, Ted just kind of abruptly ends it. Roy comes back in, asks if the stupid barking means it's over, which <laughs> I uh, just love it. Uh, Beard walks back in. He begins explaining the phone call. Jane's roommate flipped out on her. Wait, before you go, I just thought of this. I think it's going to matter later. Roy knows good fucking well that's what it means. And I just want to, like, highlight that part of Roy's Roy thing he does is he is aware, right? This is why it's hard to love you. Like, some of Roy's relationship to this stuff is he, he, he gets it. H.R. Puffin stuff, joke in the hallway. Sure, he laughs, but then he kisses uh, Keely goodbye, and we can watch him walk up the hallway behind Ted. Like, the boss showed up. Like, this is like, like, yeah, like, all this other shit, but the boss showed up, and I'm aware of it. He knows full well that the stupid barking means the meeting is over. Did either of you guys, when he, when he first said no, and he went in the other room, did either one of you guys catch him sitting down at the desk? Because once he, yeah. when he sat at the desk, I was like, that is so unnatural looking. That that Roy yeah. kind of sitting at a desk. I'm like, God, that what what does he even do with that? He doesn't know what to do at. He, I just picture him sitting no. there like Homer uh, Simpson and just blinking. Like, what is this? <laughs> He's not a desk. Well, person. he we yeah we well actually I, I was about to blow something that comes later, so I will not say that. But uh, yeah, no, he he he's, he doesn't strike me as the a lot of work gets done at my desk kind of guy, right? Um, okay, so um, uh, Beard explains Jane's roommate flipped out on her, kicked her out of the house, and so now she's move- moving in with me. Uh, in the room, oh, <laughs> muted congratulations. This time, Higgins has a pained expression on his face, and we cut to the pitch. Uh, shot of Jamie's red cleats. Uh, boys are training. They run a drill in which uh, they, they pass across uh, the 18 to Colin. He shanks it up and over the uh, over the net. Real basic thing happens all the time in soccer. Um, coach, what do you have about that? Um, I just want to just highlight, we don't need to go into it now, but it's, I, it will matter later that we go to, um, Jamie's red cleats there. I think, I think I have a, a, a thing about Jamie and this show, but it'll, it'll come together later. But the fact that we open on Jamie and the cleats and, and him being a decoy, essentially in that uh moment in practice or uh in training i think is going to ma- matter later okay um uh jamie uh when when uh when colin shanks it up and over which which again if you've played soccer or, or not uh, it's literally the easiest thing in the world to do the ball just wants to sail so you have to keep your head down and keep your, your knee over the ball and you have to really crank it try to keep it low um and jamie says uh come on lad trying to encourage him and Nate calls Colin adult. He's like, Colin, you dolt. I was like, huh? And Ted just kind of looks over at Nate. Then Roy gets on and he just coaches them all up. And he says, but yeah, go ahead. But that's who Nate is as a coach. Like part of, I think part of what's been interesting to, for me rewatching these and, and, and as we're going and go is Nate is actually pretty consistent. In season one, we just thought him roasting everybody 
was like an unbelievable moment because we thought of him as like the scrappy, you know, if little brother, right? Who everybody used to mess with his hair and whatever. And now he found his voice and good for him. But he doesn't just go in there and coach them up. He like, he lays into them yeah. personally. He eviscerates them. And he, yeah. it's it's what, and it's, and if you watch Nate, it's what he does when he, when he finally claims that voice this is how he generally uses it. This has to be a moment where Ted or Beard says, hey, like, we just don't do ad hominem attacks, man. Like, no name calling. That's, like, not helpful yeah, at thought, all. Yeah. I, I, they show Ted noting it, but they don't show him addressing it. And I will agree with you there. You've brought up before that you think as, like, a head coach. I definitely, as a head coach, even if I didn't say something there because I didn't want to um, undercut. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't say it on the field. Oh, I would never do that as, as a head coach. Um, yeah. Unless, but, you, but, unless we sort of got in a situation where you were the assistant coach. And then, <laughs> and then I would be, I would be like, I would be like, because Coach and I, we always dream about coaching a football team together, uh, American football, yeah. Because I'm offensive minded and he's defensive minded, yeah. and um, and I always think, God, how would that work? Because we'd have to. I think we could probably be co-head coaches, but God forbid if one of us was the boss of the other, it would be Im- oh immediately. God. Yeah, it would be like um, knives at dawn. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but no, um, uh, I think uh, yeah, I agree that that. You would you would take it offline and 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 do that. Um, I also think, um, and you'll agree with me for sure, Coach. When you're on a set directing, I always think it's super counterproductive to just bark shit out at people no, so everybody no, no, else no, can no, hear. No. You know, it's just terrible. No, no, no. Yeah, go talk to people. Yeah. I, um, actually, I will share because I so rarely give you advice. I mean, give you credit um, that you gave me advice when I was going to direct uh, Dinner for Two. And you you actually, that was one of the things. It was only a couple of things, but that was one of the things that you stressed was not to yell across that it becomes easy to kind of do that. And and as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, there it, you go. It makes There's a difference. Credit. Yeah. Thanks. Finally. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, was that so hard, coach? Um, all right. Anyway. Um, so Jamie says, um, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Roy then steps up and he starts coaching, coaching Colin up, keep your head down and lean into it. And, you know, whatever. I forget what the exact coaching was. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, it just gave sort of a little boost to Colin. Colin says his mantra. He's a strong and capable man. And Roy goes on, bumper catch, great pass, but it don't mean shit if they see it coming. The rest of you in the box, when the shot goes, uh, goes, you follow it, you fucking follow it in. Um, and Isaac has a big smile. And he says, you smell that, lads? That's the Roy Kent effect. And everybody cheers for, for Roy, and he just can't help but smile. I thought it was brilliant to have I'm, – I'm sorry, boss. I just cut you off. No, not at all. I was only going to say – why smell? Why are they smelling? I, I, you know, actually, I wondered that. I wondered that what? choice too. I didn't. I, I didn't note that. Huh? <laughs> like when I first heard it, I thought maybe that was just Isaac being kind of Isaac, like not always getting it. But is is that a is that a thing? Are we supposed to smell the right kind of thing? Sm- smell the smell warm. the power. Interesting. I, I, never a thing that I have thought. Man, that guy smells like power is not a thing that's occurred to me. I did notice huh. I did notice it as well. Didn't bother me. Um I just was like, okay, whatever. But but 
Well, what are okay. what other verbs? Do you hear that, lads? Do you see that, lads? Do you taste yeah. that? I'm like, feel, feel that? that. Yeah, mm-hmm, feel feel mm-hmm, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I'm sure that. Yeah, he he may have chosen the 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 sense that you would have referenced, been least likely least? to reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I picked up on it because if I am smelling Roy Kent, it's not on a soccer field. That's going to be a different thing that we do. Oh, it could be on a soccer field is all I'm saying. <laughs> so, so creepy. The two of you. My God. All right. So um, uh, uh, Jamie uh, Jamie steps up and he says, hey, coach, uh, you, know, you know, anything I can do or something along those lines. And Roy just, there's a beat. And then Roy turns. All right, let's let's go again. And Ted. So, what did he call him? Adult. Adult. Yeah, he calls him adult. And then Roy does something, and Ted goes, "Hey, coach. You know, you're paid to coach the whole team." And and what does uh, what does uh, Roy Kent respond there, boss? No, no, that's fine. Just take four percent off my paycheck. Good God. Ugh, that's Which- like the most Roy Kent line. <laughs> so anyway. Um, we hear Ted, Ted, and Ted's like, you hear that? He, he, you know, and we hear Rebecca calling him. He turns around, um, and she asks, uh, 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 Rebecca asks Ted if he has any lunch plans. And he says, yes, him and Beard are doing secret switch sandwich switcheroo every other Friday. I like that he explains that <laughs> because it's because. Ted would be interested. Like if if Rebecca started to yell down to him that she and Keely do Friday lunch switcheroo, like he would actually be. He'd be like, "What are the parameters totally of that? It, of that tradition? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, do you do you do you get to call what kind of bread and uh, condiments? Well, condiments? You know, like once you have a sandwich, deal. can you use it again, or is there a time period where it can't be reused? A hundred percent. And the fact that Rebecca's like. Why are you still saying words? I Why don't care. Words? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. She says he's coming to lunch with her and her mother. He says, okay, that's fine. She's the boss. And then he, and then he says uh, to Ted, to uh, Beard, he goes, spoiler, I made you BLT. And, and Beard says, samesies. And they do a little handshake, <laughs> a little explosion. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that felt like. Howdy neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It just feels yes. like that felt, again, I told you I love this episode. It, that felt right to me. I was like, yep, that's exactly right. That's what I have come to believe uh, their relationship is. Okay. But is a BLT the best sandwich to pack for a lunch during the middle of a work day? This is obviously what solid, I'm most concerned I mean, about. solid point. Bacon goes old, a long bacon. way. Yeah, bacon <laughs> can fix a lot of things. But I get that it's best hot. So that, that, obviously. Yeah. This is a, I don't know about you guys, but this is specifically a toasted sandwich. I'm not taking toast and packing it in the lunch and eating it several hours later. Well, excuse us, your highness. That's fine. I will will own this one. I eat garbage most of the time. In this case, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm not eating BLT's hour old. I get it. My relationship to that sandwich just changed, but go, go on. Well, outside of sandwiches, which um, maybe is going to be the title of my memoir eventually. But I feel like I really liked that Rebecca was back to screaming out of the window because it was so much like season one. And because I feel like there has been an overabundance of Ted's personality 
on the team and the rest of the organization. And I don't want anybody going too far, Ted, other than Ted. Mm. Everybody else should incorporate Ted into who they are. So yes, Rebecca screaming down to at the pitch at them saying, no, you're coming to lunch with me was very reminiscent of beard. You can't have two meals. Uh, Ted, who are you bringing? Like being the boss a little bit and screaming at them. And I missed her and I loved it. She introduces her mom, Deborah. Um, and Ted says, you know, hi, hi, Rebecca's mom. Rebecca's mom says, you know, my name's not Rebecca's mom. It's Deborah. And um, she says, I'm a work in progress, a voracious book on tape listener, and a staunch believer that if you get dealt lemons in life, then you should make lemon lavender mojitos. Uh, to which, uh, you going to say something, boss? I was only going to say, I do not understand how Rebecca could have grown up with Deborah as her mom, a woman who would say these things to a group of strangers. And then also be put off by Ted when she first met him. Like, that's very much a Ted line about when you, life gets you uh. make lemon lavender mojitos. Maybe Ted would say lemonade. And maybe Deborah being fancy and posh is the lemon lavender mojitos. But that that doesn't feel like a woman who would have raised Rebecca. Maybe that's, well, that, maybe that's why, that he's, why, why she's triggered by him is because there's a... Yeah, I mean, I know I definitely have that like things that my my, you know, my kids go, how did you come from like your mom <laughs> like that? And and I'm like, yeah, it's just, I, I have an aversion to the to the things that, you know, whatever. So maybe it's that. It, it, that that's definitely true. It just I feel like maybe she wouldn't have been as surprised. Like my mom and I actually have a pretty good relationship, but I don't have any other Kathy's in my life because I have the one and she's all I'm able to manage at the moment. <laughs> Sorry, Kathy, if you're listening to this right now, you know how I feel about you. So it just seems interesting to me that she would have these kind of a mother with Ted-like aspects and then also have her relationship with Ted. That felt interesting to me. It, I, I, oh, wow. That is fascinating. And I, I am really fighting the urge to go down this rabbit hole. But but I do want to I do want to highlight the number of ways and places I, um, I watch 90 day fiance with, uh, my wife. Uh, you can reserve your judgments or have them. It's the internet. Go ahead and post. But, um, the point is that <laughs> when she, <laughs> when she, when how the number of times, cause the parents are often involved in to a level that I find mind blowing. And the number of times I've gone, are you kidding me? Like, that's your mom. And you just said, hmm, how do I make sure this goes on forever? I know I'll go find the new version of her. Uh, like, it, the, it is mind blowing. I know there are definitely moments in my own life to make it bring it closer to actual home where my wife does or says something or I have a reaction to what has not done, been done or not done. And my react and I just go, yeah, um, I've been doing this since I was seven. And I still lose in this scenario. I get it. I get it. I think, you know, that's the, that's one of the big tropes about marrying your mom and that sort of thing, or, or men trying to, you know, find a replacement for their moms and that, that whole thing. Um, uh, Ted says he loves meeting people's moms because it's like reading an instruction manual as to why they're nuts, which I thought that is a great line. Definitely brilliant. It does feel like it uh, discounts the ways in which your father makes you nuts. Like, listen, it, 
I don't know if anybody would be shocked to find out that my dad's side of the family are all short, sort of squat brunettes that are assholes. Oh. There is a reason. Uh, Okay. There is a reason. Yeah. And nobody's surprised. Interesting. I, um, so, uh, Coach Beard screams, let's go. I was like, that is the, have we heard this sound? Boss, you have to explain this because we have not heard him screech like this. Right? Like ever. Clean up those lines. (laughs) Remember? Yes. Ted Krim, the independent. I think he does do it sometimes. Um, I don't think that it is his, actually, I have mentioned before that, um, I did stats for the wrestling team at high school and uh, it's coach Deitch and coach K and coach K was always very active and energetic and yeah, get in there. Cradle, get, come on, get, 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 spin around, spin around, get your hips down, get your hips down. And coach Deitch would say nothing the entire match until exactly the right time. And then would shout cradle, cradle. And his voice would go up 14 octaves. So I have to imagine there might be something similar where Ted does all the talking and Beard does the high-pitched screeching that needs to be done. I think it's fascinating. My God, we got to talk about this at some point because as a former wrestler, you know, you got a shot at a cradle. <laughs> like, how, oh, how it's, oh. it, by the time the coach yells it, it's probably gone. You know, like, I would, I would see that fucker, like, if, if I had the most remote chance of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is so glorious. Um, I feel like that was sort of the impetus behind it is that there was so much pain that he was like, you, you, you're missing it, that he needed to shout with his entire body. Hear- and then he would go back to sitting cross-armed. In his I just chair. had this thing where I was just realizing the cradle is you get the head and the, and the leg mm-hmm. in, a, in a hold. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I remember I got trained. One of my tr- uh, coaches was a kind of a, backroom brawler and who turned into an NCAA champion. And um, he would tell me as part of that with your free hand, your free hand is just hanging out there doing nothing. Cause you got, you got like, Oh no, sorry. Sorry. This was in, um, wait, what was this? It's not the cradle. Cause your hand, your free hands are locked. Um, I would, I don't know. I, I was just thinking about this one. Other was, I guess if I have a, if I shot the half Nelson, I'm trying to figure out how I would use it. But the coach is like, take the other guy, the guy's other arm. And push it from his elbow across his own face to suffocate him while you're trying to pin him. Oh, because if you you have a half Nelson in, you you got the guy you got the guy turned. You're on top trying to push him over. You're uh, in my most case because I had a strong right arm. I was holding with the right arm. Then I'd use my left to push his own arm across his mouth and and nose to try to you know block his airflow. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's basically any time you could get a half Nelson in is what you want to do. Uh, I did see a kid get choked out one time. Yeah. Like that. that was pretty it's, rough. It's, yeah. it's, ter- it's uh-huh. terrible. And I'm looking back thinking like, this is fucking horrific that I did that. And I didn't – I was like, oh, the coach is told yeah. me to do it. I was like, yeah, whatever. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, these poor little kids that got to – I'm like, that's terrible. Yeah. What a – that's barbaric. Yeah. Oh. What a what – a, what a glorious sport. Well, th- yeah, I was going to say, though, it's interesting. <laughs> I had a conversation once. I fr- and, and, and the, what it ended up being was, do you think Jesus would be a boxing fan is where we landed. And it was sort of an interesting thing oh. because my take was, 
two people have agreed to do this. It's not like you walk into a restaurant yeah. and in the middle of someone's appetizer, you just punch them in the jaw and see what happens. Yes. Right? Like two people have agreed to do this. So I actually felt like, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not saying he would be, you know, a fight promoter, but I don't think there would be a problem with boxing as a sport. So I guess my question is, if you, if, if you grab some kid in the locker room and did this, I think it's terrible. But on the mat, I find myself going, that's the game. Everybody signed up for the game. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the kids that didn't really sign up and their dads made them do it and they hate wrestling. And well, that's, you know, there's a whole thing. I just think it's like really kind of shitty and I'm the one, and I'm the one that did it. So it makes it worse. I, I will say that then that is not a fight with the guy you're wrestling against. That's a fight with your dad. Like that, that you're going to have to handle that off the mat, mm-hmm. sir, because this isn't what's happening right now. Um, I will say that I was hanging out with a few of the wrestlers and one non wrestler. And somebody said something about wrist, butt, which is a move where if you've got the guy's head down and you need to flatten him out, you basically take your wrist and you shove it into his butt, like as much on his butt cheeks as you can in order to pressure him down so those hips are flat. And then you could start working on turning him over. And one of the wrestlers said, if the ref isn't paying as much attention as they should be, you go ahead and wrist butt him right in the balls on your way oh. up. Yes, this is a common this is a common yeah. thing. I'm, I'm, you, common you know what? Thing. How I, you know how you got how I got ninety five percent of my cradles? <laughs> just think, just listen to this. I did a, I did a bow and arrow. So, coach, imagine somebody lying flat on the mat. Okay, they're just lying on their tummy, flat on mm-hmm. the mat. They're trying to be like, you can't get me. Like they're terrified, and they have this yeah, yeah, beat. They have this like gore, cl- slavering beast. On top of them going, <laughs> I was like the the, uh, the Tasmanian devil, right? And, <laughs> and then what you would do is you would yeah. – do you know what a bow and arrow is, uh, boss? No. Okay. Ima- imagine I go perpendicular to them. They got their they, – okay. they're sort of elbows up, to, up high under them, um, flat on their stomach. I grab – I go perpendicular to them. I put my head right in their rib cage. And then I grab their leg and I grab their neck and I just pull and my head, my, oh, my head goes into their rib cage and it fucking kills. It's like you're snapping their yeah. ribs. And so they natu- yeah. they naturally I- bend. And as soon as they bend, it's over, you lock, you lock your hands and you flip them over and it's over. It's fucking over. And th- yeah. this is terrible. I didn't that, that had a name, but yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. God well, damn. So oh. that's the thing though, is that. The, the non-wrestler, whatever he, at Sporty did, I can't remember right now, but he was like, you guys do what? You, this is, this is allowed? You do this to each other? Horrified. And the wrestler was like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes somebody punches you in the balls in the middle of a match. It, it happens. So I, it just the difference between how the wrestlers had accepted their fate as getting punched in the balls every Friday night and the non-wrestler was horrified. And yeah. Part of the sport. In, in fairness, all, uh, basically every sport has a version of this type of thing. Um, you know, like there's all kinds of nasty tricks in hockey, butt ending and things like that. There's all kinds of things that happen in various sports um, to give you an unfair advantage. I mean, that's legal in wrestling. That's the weird thing about it. But um, anyway, yeah. mo- moving right along. God, sorry for this huge wrestling distraction. I'm coming to turn. I'm going to have to do some. <laughs> I'm going to have to burn some sage tonight because I am horrified by 
Oh, man. <laughs> terrible, terrible realization. Um, okay, so um, we moved to the coaches. Oh, oh no. we. Mi- I don't want to miss the excellent joke. Um, Beard shrieks. Ted, then, you know, we're talking about uh, how your mother is a, is a, it shows how crazy you are. Emmanuel shows how crazy you are. And Ted goes, hey, how's, how's Mrs. Beard? And, and uh, what does, <laughs> what does Beard say, coach? Full bone QAnon, which was perfectly delivered, an unbelievably well written line. I cackled. Um, yeah, that 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 was, yeah, that 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 was that was spot on. That and and I, and I think most people, even if you wouldn't absolutely agree, and and boss, I'm with you that uh, dad's got a dad's got a free ride in this joke. Um, I think we all would agree with the basic premise that like you do get a glimpse into why this person is the way they are. Yeah. It, it, it harkens back to, and we got to move on, but it harkens back to the, um, I hesitate to uh, call up the, uh, the name of Bill Cosby, but he did a, a set um, like a little, a little sort of bit about um, how fathers would take their kids out in the freezing cold and sit there in the snow. You remember this coach? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they would suffer through every possible indignity trying to get this this child to be good at sports and then the second thing on national tv in college what's the first thing they say hi mom yeah that's it <laughs> so anyway yeah dad's dad's get, getting away getting away with it in this joke um uh we moved to the coach's room beard is reading football against the enemy by simon keeper which is a book based about uh the author travels to 22 different countries worldwide to ex- examine the way football has shaped each country and the differences that lie behind each nation each nation's distinctive style of play it uh won the 90, 1994 william hill sports book of the year award uh beard is reading that because he's a student of the game and this is what he does um ted tosses beard the sandwich beard sniffs it and asks why no horseradish and ted says i thought you were allergic and what does beard say boss to horses and radishes we got a winner we got a winner oh no oh no i hated this joke with a level of passion i was like what this i don't buy any element of this joke what are we discussing right now he thought to horses and i was like no absolutely not this is nonsense what is this joke i love the i thought of you like knocking over your chair over this stupid joke yeah because i because i'm like i am doing my best here you had a christmas episode and i stood up for you and i don't need this shit so this this who asked for horseradish on the sandwich he thinks he's allergic and, and actually Beard is allergic to horses and radishes. How did this ever come out in a conversation? How did this confusion happen? I just didn't. I feel like somebody had this joke in their back pocket for the last eight years and decided here's where I can use it because I don't get it. Why? Why are these two people having this exchange? Here's Okay. First of all, these two people have the weirdest exchanges. I, I think uh, a man should get dressed in the time it takes uh, for, by easy, easy, whatever, by <laughs> Philip Bailey and Philip, right? Uh, these guys have those yeah. conversations. Um, they're really right. weird. Uh, Coach, uh, uh, you know, if, if, I see, if you see me in your dreams, just pretend we don't know each other. And these guys have weird conversations. Um, I'm fascinated to find out 
in the absolute cornball universe that is season two Ted Lasso jokes, how this one is so different for you that it was that it's like stuck out as opposed to like, uh, you know, uh, what's the Steve Kerr joke? Uh, as you were Steve Kerr, right? You were, I forget. Because, because to me, that was just, he's just rhyming to something, right? So like, if you think that's dumb, then yeah, then that's dumb. If you think that's how, you know, Ted communicates and thinks, and that's that. But this is actually supposed to be an exchange around a conversation they've had. And I just don't buy for a second. Like, I don't buy the premise of the joke. Neither one of them does like anything that suggests that we're sort of doing a bit. Like if, if they'd winked or something like this was their bit about horseradish or I don't know, but I didn't buy it. I didn't buy any of it. I didn't think Ted wouldn't know what Beard is allergic to. I just, no. Okay. All right. All right. I, I will take you at your word. And um, I'm a little disappointed. Kind of sucks that this is the one. This is the one. I really wanted it to be. I really, because this is such a throwaway to horses and radishes. I don't think I own any horseradish, by the way. Yeah. I don't. Oh, oh, oh. I've had okay. horseradish, but yeah, I wouldn't think to put on a BLT. But have you had horses? Have you had horses and radishes, coach? <laughs> you see what I did there? Uh, I broke it up. <laughs> Ah. It was a compound word. Forget about it. We'll just move on. All right. So Keely, uh, I, I, I can hear. So so Boss kept her mic open and did not mute. And I felt like some castigation coming from her in that I don't, I'm not a big user of, of horseradish in my daily existence. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to keep talking and see if she just won't attack me. That's possible. Go get it. I, I was I, I was going to not, and then I was going to say that I know what I'm getting both of you for Christmas this year, which is obviously a horseradish <laughs> of the month club subscription because it's delicious. And if you mix it in with a little sour cream and put it on your prime rib, oh, you can't, okay, yeah, you can't that I could see. That. Uh, that I could see. Are you cooking? Are you cooking? Yes, you cooking no. prime rib there, uh, boss, at home? And, and not at the moment, but I have. I've been known. You have, to. Really, you'll just do like a straight up like I'm gonna make me a prime a prime rib like a giant fucking <laughs> like like leather saddle sized piece of meat and blast it out. Usually not that big, but what I can get is like a smaller, maybe like a four or five bone rib for Christmas. Come on, mm. why would I not? Four or five ounce? Especially no, 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 no. Like four or five bone prime rib, and then you have leftovers. And you put those leftover that leftover prime rib on some French bread with arugula and tomato and red onion, horseradish, a little cheddar cheese, maybe if that's up, if that's what you like. Delicious. I have had Next that. Next time I come yeah. through Chicago, I'm hanging out at Boss House. That's I, what I, I know. Absolutely. I like the idea of you sending this to to Coach because I like the idea of him having to revisit this joke every time he sees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God damn it! That's exactly it. All right, so um, Keely enters uh, asking if Ted can drive them back from lunch. She has some creative work she wants to get done, and she wants to be a little buzzed for it. And Ted thinks it's a great idea all around. I will, again, note casual alcoholism. Um, it's fine. Uh, it's always notice how much drinking goes on. Ted, uh, Ted's phone rings. There's an issue uh, with his son. Uh, and, okay, so Ted, okay, he turns away. It sounds like something terrible is happening. Um, 
he says, yeah, no, I wish uh, I could do that, but it was a heck of a commute. And he says, yeah, no, well, I work in London. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? And he says, I'll have to call my wife. And he corrects himself, uh, his mom, and see if she can pick it up. Oh, she's, she's pulling up now. Okay, crisis averted. Okay, this, I would argue, is what is the beginning of, of the downturn. This is, this is the thing. I think he is powerless in his son's life. I mean, let's say it hadn't been a forgotten lunch. Let's say they said, we went to the zoo and a bear ripped off both Henry's arms. He couldn't do any more about that than he can do about this fucking sandwich. And I think it's painfully clear to him. And then on top of that, that he's not particularly necessary. Um, so yeah, I think, I think this one would hit hard. Um, and I think it's interesting who is present that they noted it. And I, I think there are ways in which it comes up in which it comes up later, but this piece of the father being absent, um, coming of age, all that I think is going to, is a big, big deal for the rest of the season, really, but definitely for the rest of the episode. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I, I think in addition to him being helpless, and I'm going to get into all of this a lot more in the upcoming episodes, but it's not just that he feels helpless. It's that his coping mechanism for this up until this point is he would leave and drive wherever he needs to drive to get his son a sandwich. That's how he would handle it. Like he doesn't have any sort of stress modifiers. He doesn't know how to make himself feel better about this. He doesn't know how to deal with feeling shitty because he can't be there for his son right now. Like if he can't immediately spring into action in order to physically be there for his son, he doesn't know how to cope. And I think that that's what leads to the events and later in the episode. There is a, there's a, uh, as the only person on the panel who has um, had a divorce where uh, uh, children have to go to the other parent. Um, obviously this, this hit, hit me particularly hard, but I, but I will say that there's this thing that happens. Um, oh God, this is sort of, I think it's sort of universal. Hopefully anyone who, who has it, I wouldn't wish divorce on anyone. Coach, you going to say something? Mm. No, no, no. I'm, I'm listening. Um, there's this thing that happens where you, you will be coached by your therapist or by your friends. Like you have to let go. You have to understand like when they're with the other parent that, you know, it's not your time and you don't go into it ever thinking that like, it's just like, uh, like I always, I always re- reference the term, uh, like, uh, you know, Los Angeles or bust. And everybody thinks like, uh, this, this year in fantasy football, I drafted, uh, Trey Lance, uh, in the first, uh, yes, who's my keeper, uh, that he's a quarterback for the Niners. And somebody said, I can't believe you didn't draft a backup. And I said, no, Trey Lance or bust. And then of course, uh, the first game of the season, he blows his knee out and that's it. And I was thinking like, oh, I said that, but like when people say this or bust, they always think this, they don't think bust. Um, and when you have kids, at least, and you try to be a decent human being, you don't think like, oh, there are going to be some days where I just don't, I'm not, I'm not part of the children's lives. And so one of the things that I, that I, that I sort of felt, and, and again, I, I fast forward to my you know, kids live with me. My, my relationship with my ex is great. Uh, luckily, you know, but it took a long time to get there. And, um, but not being part of something as simple as making a sandwich or making a lunch, that is way more devastating he's just missing out he's missing these tiny moments that make 
Henry's childhood important and make him, you know, he's not, he's not there for like the, the monotony. You know, they say life is what happens when you're making other plans. That really relates to parenting because you're always in a hustle and a bustle kind of thing, moving kids to school and places and sports and everything they, they're into. But it's those car rides that matter. And it's those, uh, you know, it all matters, but missing out on those is, is, is pretty, is a pretty big deal. And I think it hits Ted very hard. Um, just, uh, it's not the same thing. So I'm going to say that to start, but, um, 17 year old twins means that I, I've definitely now started to think about the fact that folk aren't going to be around here forever. And that is, uh, horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it, it's interesting to hear you in, in that framing of it, and that's a different thing. But yeah, I think um, you, you, people, maybe, people I mean, like you I, and I are not suited to an empty nest. First of all, no, not at all. And I just, I guess, I just didn't uh, think it all the way through. Um, and my uh, children have not heeded my demands that they not grow anymore. I've been saying this. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No, it's not. It's it's no joke. But it, clearly, I'm glad we're all on the same page that it just destroys Ted. Um, and this is what I why I feel like they were making him almost manic up to this point is he has been compensating for this. The agreed. You know this loss and this. Right? Are you with me on that, Coach? It, Absolutely. It, this is how he's been maintaining, and and in order to, he's so aware of the heightened loss, which is like in a crescendo, that he's raising the bar for his goofy Flandersness in order to compensate for this growing pain inside of him, and um, that, that's how I read it anyway. Um, and uh, um, I think this is the turning point. Yes, and I think. I think th- that if there's something about the lasso way that that for me became evident, and for me, one of the things I actually have liked about season two, and I know we sometimes jokingly, sometimes not so jokingly, have shared our disagreements on the season. I feel like season two took a lot of things that in season one we were sort of just invited to just notice and view as, you know, either charming or quirky or whatever the case might be. And I feel like season two really intentionally takes us through what's really going on there and what's underneath that piece. And like, I think that's part of what I like about it is that I feel like a lot of times like that, which is supposed to be comedy doesn't do that part. So I, that, that, I really did like that this, you know, like take us there with him. And why does he do that? Well, he's obviously wanting to spread a whole bunch of joy. But even when he's not feeling it, there's something for a guy who want, who has an incredible level of emotional intelligence. Isn't that brand of like project, projecting something false? Isn't that like the opposite of what he would encourage in anyone else? Right. He, uh, doctor, heal thyself. Right. Um, so yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's an astute point. And, and, uh, it, it, you know, this is what it, what it, how it manifests itself in someone like Ted is, is it a God complex 
where, oh, you know, I give this to everybody else, but, you know, I can handle it. It's, it's fine. You, you convince yourself that you can do it or, uh, you know, it's like this is or or is it utterly selfless in that, um, you know, I don't I can't possibly do this to everybody else and, you know, burden them with my bullshit right now. So I just have to hold it together. What do you think, boss? I think he's terrified of acknowledging how bad he is at doing what he tells other people to do. Mm. I think that he, and again, this is something that I'm going to touch on a lot more later, but I think his, the last way for him is not just an idea about how to best coach people, how to connect with people, how to get the best performance out of people. It's also how he keeps people from leaving or hurting him. Like this is entirely a self-defense mechanism that if he is always cheerful, always positive, always encouraging people, no one will treat him poorly. Nobody will hurt him. And when you take that self-defense mechanism away, you end up being terrified about what that means for you. Because now he can't stop people from hurting him and he doesn't know how to process it when they do. That's wow. And, <laughs> and and I think really important because it's sort of one of those, the best thing becomes the worst thing moments because actually yeah. Ted's wife leaves because of this. It's not like in spite of this yes. or this, like it is this shit. It's you and your Rosa Parks fucking donuts. And I can't. And yes. when we first yep. hear that, she said that I remember thinking like, God damn, that's a, that's a rough way to leave somebody that you're too, you're, you're too positive. But by here, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Like, I wish y'all had yeah. made it, but I, I get where somebody would be like, I can't do this. Like, I, I have to be able to have a bad day. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that definitely contributed to their marriage not working out. I think also when we're being very honest, there are times where people fall in love when they're 23 or 24. And by the time they're 40 or 45, they've changed as people and their relationship aren't the, isn't the same and they can't be in love the way that they used to. Like, I, I, I think everyone would feel a lot better in society if we acknowledge that sometimes people get divorced amicably and still love each other and just can't be together. And so even if he hadn't done anything wrong, the entirety of their marriage, even if she wasn't pissed off about him being positive all the time, if they just decided that they can't be married anymore, how is he going to deal with that when his only defense mechanism is, I'm going to make you love me so much that you don't like He could threaten to take everything from a successful lawyer. But that's me. I I just mean, me, that's just me spitballing yeah. over here. Uh, yeah, I mean, he could turn into a total <laughs> fucking asshole, but that doesn't seem like him either. This is, um, it reminds me a little bit, one of the things that uh, people on the autism spectrum do is mask all of their, you know, behavioral oddities or the the stims that they do, which is, uh, you know, physical movements to make themselves feel better. Like they do all these things in order to lessen those. It makes them feel worse. Other people seem to like them a little bit more. So they keep doing mm. it. And it's just compounding the issues that they're having because they can't process their reality authentically to themselves. And now I've brought us all way down. That, that's so okay. That, no, that's okay. That. That's all right. Um, it's 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 perfect because the, it was a heavy duty moment for Ted, 
and the show uh very is is cagey and smart and they give us the best way to get right out of a heavy moment they bring in jamie tart and he walks <laughs> he walks in, never fails with either short shorts on or underwear i'm not sure um he walks in and says hi to only keely uh what do you what do you say about his about his legs uh boss something obviously about his legs number one those are boxer briefs and number two great legs I'm a leg lady. I appreciate it, Jamie. Thank you. I, I'll, I'll point out that I may be the only human being on Earth who has ever uh, given flowers to the, the, the creators of the boxer brief as one of the great innovations in modern time. Totally underappreciated. Talk about not giving in to either or thinking. Uh, both and. Both and. And it's one of the great innovations of all time. And if you've never said that to a room full of people who've gathered to talk about innovation, you're missing out. <laughs> I, I, tend to, <laughs> I tend to agree with you, Coach. Um, okay. So uh, Jamie says hi to Keeley. He's pissed that Roy isn't coaching him. Uh, Ted's, Ted makes a joke about not being able uh, to tell Roy to do anything. And then Nate says, yeah, I'll totally drop it into one of our many conversations where Roy talks to me about his life and asks for my advice. And that that kills with the group. And Beard gives Jamie a thumbs down and makes a noise, a uh, little, little uh, Bronx cheer kind of noise. And Jamie calls the room Philistines and <laughs> that he's asking for help. Um, uh, a Philistine, of course, is a um, person who's Hostile or indifferent to culture and the arts, and or who has no understanding of them. Um, comments? And I don't even know which word he was going for that he misunderstood. I, I have given this um, too much thought. And uh, I think, I think that, I think it would be, this, this is my best explanation, that he was somewhere and someone referred to a room full of people who were behaving in a way they didn't like as Philistines, right? And what he just took from it was like, uh, right? Like he just sort of took like general, you know, jer- your jerks, you know, unmannered. Yes. He didn't get the nuance of, no, it's about the arts. Got it. Um, Ted reminds Jamie that uh, Roy and him have their own history and the two of them need to woman up. That's the, uh, the, the term Ted uses. They need to woman up. And Jamie, uh, think you know says to ted no i think you mean man up and beard you know big head shake no um and ted says no y'all have been manning up for a while look where that's got you which i was like all right i like that um and ted asks keely uh if she has any advice for this half-dressed young fella and she says i agree and Ted says, that's a confusing way to answer the question. She says, no, no, I, I mean, I agree with Roy. Just agree with everything he throws at you really takes the anger wind out of his brat sails. And, huh, Jamie considers that. Ted and Keely leave for lunch. Keely says bye to Jamie. Jamie looks over to Beard, who is just sitting there silently, uh, his, his book in his hand. And um, what does he say to Beard, boss? He says, I don't really know how to talk to you. And Beard, completely deadpan, says, then it's working. Chef's kiss. I should tell you, though, I don't buy that. I, I, I did write a post about it. It might have involved Jamie and Beard making out a little bit, which was... Uh, it, hi- which is which is I shipping. Was that was shipping. What's happening? That was a little bit of shipping. 
I was shipping a little bit that maybe the, they kiss uh, just a little bit just to see what it's like if it works out for him. But more importantly than that, I do not buy that Beard would not be interested in helping to make one of the stars of the team a better player. This, there's Maybe they won't flesh it out, but I didn't buy for a second that Beard would be uninterested in what Jamie's has going on. Interesting. Well, I was thinking about it as a relationship issue, but you're right. It's absolutely going to impact the team on some level. You're, uh, Yeah, that's a good point. I just think Beard is super awkward, and Jamie is not that – he's a, kind of a shallow well. And, um, uh, his, you know, historically, the, that, these, are, these are two different types of creatures. Uh, but one thing I will say that is working in Jamie's favor is, like, he's light years ahead of where he was – in the past and the fact that he's asking for help mm-hmm. and he's not throwing a tantrum mm-hmm. and he's out there like trying to figure this out because it's obviously something that's bar- bothering him. Um, and then just with the beard thing, I just thought it was like an interpersonal thing. Like, I don't know what kind of creature you are. And beard says it's working. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Again, another, another great line. Uh, Jamie exits and beard yells that he should look up the word Philistines. So, um, we are now at lunch with Deborah. The four of them are at lunch at the Richmond, usual Richmond pub. Um, Deborah's talking about life. You see, there comes a point when you realize life is long and it's also very short and sometimes it's neither, but it always, it is always what it is. You know, was this, um, reminiscent for eat for of anyone else? Cause it, this, this line specifically reminded me of another cast member. Anything from either one of you? It reminded me very much of just in the last episode when Ted was telling the entire team about the rom communism that it's going to work out. Maybe not the way you thought, maybe not the way you wanted, but it is going to work out. Like that doesn't mean anything. What you're saying doesn't mean anything. It's, it is the worst parts of the self-help pop psychology. Like this is how you fix your life when you don't really want to nonsense it's sometimes it's long sometimes it's short sometimes it's neither it, well that's a, like that's physically impossible it can't be neither short nor long it it, it it aggravated me so much and made me want not bad things to happen to deborah but i didn't care what happened to her after this i thought it was designed to sort of make us not like her all that much like oh she's full of shit kind of good right is that is that is I that did. okay she but listen i'm gonna shit. say her line again you see, there comes a point where you realize life is long, and it's also very short, and sometimes it's neither. And then I'm going to say the line that will, um, you will know the character, where I say, you know, football is life, but football is also death, and sometimes football mm-hmm. is just football, right? Right. Yes. And so, but so that was yes. that yes. was designed to heal him. That's what made him. That's what fixed him. So it's interesting that it's sort of being used now, I think, to to paint uh, Deborah in a slightly negative light. Um, I think that the design of this is to have us not like Deborah for for a number of reasons in this in this scene, not not the least of which are Rebecca's responses uh, and also how, a little bit later how she addresses Ted. But um, does that make sense to either one of you? It does make sense. I wouldn't go so far as to say I don't like Deborah. Um, my I guess where I would describe it as I, I find pity isn't quite the word. There's something kind of hopeless about Deborah. So I, I guess I find Deborah more sad than infuriating. Um, 
or even annoying. Like, I just find it like sad, like, oh, you're trying to sort it all out, you know, because while it means nothing, what she said is true. And if you were talking to someone who you thought understood the ways that it's all true, it could be deep. You know what I mean? I think if you were sitting there talking to somebody and they, you really had a sense that they'd been through some life and they were bringing this to you, it could be deep. But because she says it as if she read it off the back of the latest book, I think that's part of why it lands the way it does. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if that tracks, but that's my reaction to her. That definitely tracks to me. I do think that there is a bit of sadness to her. I think, especially with the Danny comparison, the issue was what had broken Danny was that he had accidentally killed a dog and he felt so terrible about that, that he didn't know how to live with himself. And in this case, it's very much more centered on how Deborah feels about Deborah. Like, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be doing self-care and feeling a lot of emotions when they're getting divorced. But I also think that it is slightly harder to stomach when she is pontificating about her situation in terms of how she feels about her as compared to how her husband is treating her, which I know sounds bitchy. I hear myself. I get it. But Danny's seemed more universal than hers does. He seemed like life is football. Football is life. Football is death. Football is football. This is more of a universal understanding And what she is saying is more about her individual circumstance. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. Um, So um, uh, she goes on to say how she told Paul she's leaving him to live her best life until she dies or is murdered, uh, which elicits a response. (laughs) That's a weird (laughs) thing to say. Uh, Very weird. And then she stood up, flushed the toilet, pulled up her trousers, and walked straight out of there. And I was like, oh, God. Like, they are submarining this character. Um, Although I know if I gave uh, – pass the microphone over to to Boss, she could give a litany of reasons why uh, talking in the the restroom is totally acceptable, I'm sure. Does your Midwestern shyness uh, play in here, Boss, or – um, are you just brazenly uh, okay with um, just talking while you're on the john? Oh, um, my very dear friend who is sunshine and rainbows and the sweetest person you'll ever meet in your entire life. She and I bonded um, over peeing in front of each other lots of times at house parties. Uh, one time we actually peed in front of a stranger too. We'd made a friend. We We might've had a few beverages and, a couple other substances, made a friend. Um, and when we got to the bathroom, she assigned different peeing spots. You can pee in the toilet and you pee in the bathtub and I'm going to pee in the sink. And 20 years later, we're still best friends. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I, be- I barely got it out. I- well, if it makes you feel any better, our friendship was that that was the beginning of the solidification. It finished solidifying later that same evening when the line for the bathroom was too long. So we just went and peed in the backyard. And um, as we were crouching in the very dark near the garage, sort of, she accidentally sat on one of those utility sticks oh. that has a pointy end oh. over the top. Oh. 
and then started shouting uh, about how she sat on a stick it, and it went right near her butthole is the oh. thing that she kept saying oh. a lot. She ended up being fine, but yeah, that's uh, we'll still talk about that to this day, about the time that she sat on a stick. Yeah, I wasn't even there, and that's a good <laughs> chance I'll talk about it at some point. That's hilarious. Oh, so great. She made me, uh, at the time, 19-year-olds were allowed in bars in Champagne, and she made me go upstairs into a bar where my older sister was and bring my sister down so that she could tell my sister the story of how she sat on a stick while she was trying to pee. Great times. Love college. That's awesome. Color me astounded as I uh, wince over here in F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Straightening my ascot, and we will continue along our merry way. Um, Keely suggests that she do a TED talk. Uh, Ted chimes in. You want to talk about the worst joke of the episode. Uh, Ted chimes in that he agrees because right now she's getting a whole heap of TED listen. <laughs> Holy shit. That is that is reminiscent of girl talk. He's got that girl. One, he's got that one has he got that one holstered and ready to go anytime a TED talk comes up. Yeah. Like that. Right. Like I feel That's like his there's go-to. no way he's ne- oh yeah. No, he's got that ready to go. Yeah. And it always is fucking torture. Anyway, uh, that's enough for Michelle to leave him right there. The first time she hears that, she's she's just got to go look in the bathroom mirror and be like, I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> anyway, uh, Baz and the boys are yelling at the team. Oh, go ahead, Coach. Quickly, yeah. though, I was going to just tell you this, I, it, and, and it is an aside. But, what, you know, spouses, I take it, but the certainly wives. My, I was laughing because last week I told my wife, if anyone ever asked what it's like to be married to me, and I point to the moment which had just happened, which ended with me exclaiming as she had her morning coffee, if you've never put Tiger Bomb on a groin injury, you don't know courage. <laughs> you don't know courage. <laughs> uh, and she just got to live with that. I, She's I live love that. that. But yeah, I'm moving in. I think that's if you've experienced that. That's 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 you you have you have uh, you have endured, in my opinion. Oof. Okay, so um, uh, Ted says, and I and can I just say, as someone who's that's recently been divorced, the best piece of advice that I received was to leave people well. And Deb then says, Deborah, she says, and I want to call her Deb. Deborah says she agrees. But it's different because she's the one doing the leaving. And as she understands it, Ted's wife left him. Why bring that up, Deborah? Why? Oof. We could have just you moved on. S- yeah. And you can see you can see Rebecca like, oh fuck. Or you just feel it. It's great. Yeah. Cause it's not even that it's not bad that Rebecca told her mom that. Like you discuss people you work with and things that have changed in your life. It's fine that you relay that information. But you didn't need to mention it right now. That was nothing useful to the conversation, Deborah. And I am going to call her Deb eventually. So it is socially awkward, um, but that's not the problem. The problem is it's the second time in the day that Ted gets kicked in the balls. Great call. About this topic. So it just reinforced. He brought it up. So it's clearly on his mind. And then it is it is just hammered at him. Um and so um, that beat is broken up by 
Baz, Baz, Paul, and Jeremy uh, making uh, a bunch of noise as May walks over to the table. Deborah asks her if they can stop shouting football. And uh, May uh, uh, says that it is not football. What is it, Coach? Last night's bake-off. And that leads us into one of my favorite moments, certainly of this episode. Look at that sponge. That's rubbish. Temper your chocolate, you twat. I, I, oh my God. Brilliant. I, so good. If I, if I didn't care about little kids seeing it, I would make that a t-shirt. <laughs> it's so good. Right? Right? It's, it's, so that, it's good. that good. Temper your it's chocolate, so... you twat. <laughs> like, it, because it, it, it speaks to a specific experience of our time, right? Where... We get to watch these really specific things. Like it's not television on three channels, right? So you get, you watch these specific things. And so you get to the place in your life where you actually have an opinion on the tempering of chocolate. I actually don't even know what the fuck that means, but I'm sure if I watched Bake Off, I would have been equally furious that this twat wasn't tempering their chocolate. And that's not a word I use, by the way. I'm just quoting here because I even feel uncomfortable quoting it, but. Yeah, it's a very interesting take. I feel like it's one of those words that, in, in the British context, is not they're not congruent with the way it would be used here. But yes, exactly, exactly right. And um, yeah, if there's this, you know, there's this zeitgeist that there's a shared experience. It feels familiar. Uh, Bake Off is sort of a universal show. I love that these guys are such fans that they get as equally outraged <laughs> over <laughs> over the, a sponge cake. Uh, as they as they, they're all channeling Paul Hollywood, and um, I, I just think it's hysterical. Um, it was such a nice little little note. Um, uh, Deborah takes a phone call from her psychic Tish, who says she'd call her exactly when she needed her. And I, I'm telling you, this is this is the biggest in the series. We have never seen a character get submarined by the writers. Like they are hammering every fucking way to make sure you don't like you think about um John uh Wings Knight, right? It's Wings Knight, right, T- right. PJ Flat. He he wasn't mm-hmm. they didn't su- submarine, he was just not right for Rebecca, but they did a masterful job of mm-hmm. um uh, of sort of portraying him as as like oh he's not right but he's not a bad guy in general he's just a little bit of a you know he's fine exactly what how roy categorizes him later but deborah is is just getting hammered um so keely and ted make surprise faces as as deborah walks away and keely calls deborah brave for a woman of her age to leave her husband and she asks if she's going to move in with rebecca and they should buy a pilates machine so keely can teach her when she comes over to use it i thought that was very self-serving in a funny way by keely um, kind of adorable. And Rebecca just totally steps all over the, the scene by, by explaining to us, actually, this happens over and over again. Uh, boss, what does Rebecca say? Rebecca says, please forget every word she said. They do this every couple of years. My dad acts up and then she leaves him. And then they move on. Then he buys her some expensive, environmentally conscious gift, and they'll get back together in a week. But hey ho, she'll be paying the bill, so do enjoy your free lunch. Translation: It's the hope that kills you. Ah, yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah. like coach. Yes, very you, good. Point. You dirty dog, you. 
<laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Usually it's yeah. you making that noise for boss. It's very rarely me thinking that you you surprise me. Bra- <laughs> Bravo, hey, coach. Bravo. I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, okay. So Ted says, maybe it's different this time. People can change. Uh, some can. She can't, says Rebecca. Baz and the boys start singing a song to go with the Bake Off show. Poor little cake. Soggy bottom. I was like, I just can't eat. I, I, I just, right? Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I, I did love this. This is one of my more favorite parts, um, especially rewatching it this morning. Having finished Welcome to Wrexham, I don't know if these are like, there are standard cheers and you just plug in whichever name you need to, but they would show on the show itself yes. a player being acquired. And then nearly immediately, the crowds would be able to all recite in unison a cheer about that yes. player. Yes. Like, they got Paul Mullins on a Monday. And by Tuesday, they had the we've got fucking Paul Mullins chant done. The, the so, we've got the we've got a player. Is, we've got player X is a very common thing. That's a that's a universe. Perfect. Yeah, they just well, plug that. in whoever. Yeah. But uh, the, the fact that they were like, yeah, we're going to do that for a soggy bottom cake. Great. Love it. I love when people love things, even if I hate 97% of the things in the world. Passion is attractive. Um, Okay. We're back at Richmond. Um, Beard is reading and eating his surprise sandwiches. And um, his phone rings and it's Jane. Uh, And so um, played by Phoebe Walsh, who's also the executive story editor for the show. And she's on FaceTime. And Beard says he was just thinking about her. She, he, uh, she asked, what were you thinking? And he says, what, coach? That if you ever left me again, I would throw myself off a cliff. And, uh, and, and uh, you can play the, uh, the woman role here, uh, boss, and say what Jane's uh, response was. And I'd lay down at the bottom so you could land on me. And I have to tell you, I don't know if I've mentioned it specifically on the podcast before, although I feel like I must have. Um, Phoebe Walsh actually wrote uh, episode nine of season one where Beard gave his speech, the pub speech. And I do believe it's magic that she wrote that speech and then put herself into yeah. it. And I, it, like, honestly, it's one of my favorite things that's ever happened. You did, you did mention that. Yeah. Of that. Good. I'm glad I did. It's one of my favorite things. And this gave me the opposite feeling. This exchange between them, these lines, it's. I'm going to have to try really hard to stay attracted to Beard after this. Really hard. Oh, say, say more. Because I was like, they're they're crazy, but they seem to be an aligned crazy. Which I used to tell a joke like that. I was like, find somebody that's about your level of crazy and find a way to make it work. That Chris, um, Chris yes. Rock has that same has a joke similar to that, which is, yeah, if two remember the joke where he's like, if two crackheads get together. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they gonna be together they, forever. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No. I. Uh, so I do believe in that. Also, one of the things I've said about um, Lip Gallagher from the TV show Shameless is that I feel like his crazy would pair up with my crazy very well, and that's one of the reasons why I love him so much. Um, I think that this actually is, in a way, very sweet between them. That they're like doing this sort of Victorian romantic. Uh, Heathcliff and Catherine fucked up relationship where they love each other and they're going to die. But it's not my thing. 
I like that they're doing it. I don't want them to do it with me. Got oh it. my god, I'm I'm with you. I I, I was so appalled by it. <laughs> I the face that I made when I heard them talking to each other. I was like, oh god, it was like being repul. You smell something repulsive. My face screwed up, and I'm just like, oh. And he's like Jane Payne. I'm like, this is this is unhealthy. I don't like anything of it. This is not good for either one of you. But more so, I'm like. God, this is so, it sounds so misogynist, but I'm like, I just feel like Jane is, has beard wrapped around her finger in a weird way. And she's like changing him. And then I get mad at his weakness for allowing himself to be cha- changed. Um, and, and this, this, this sort of tone later on at the button of the episode, we'll get to another little beat with the two of them that just nauseated me. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't love it. Um, Jane Payne, she tells Beard, she, oh, go ahead, boss. Well, what I was going to say is that to comment on your Jane has beard wrapped around his finger, I think that that is part of the show because beard is a character on the show that we identify with more. And this is, I believe, the first time we've seen Jane on screen in season two. So everything that we have about beard's relationship has been filtered through beard. And we've been getting the reaction of beard's friends to his relationship with Jane. I don't know if he's wrapped around her her finger as much as this is something Beard would have always wanted to do and didn't have a person to do it with. I don't actually believe that people get into relationships with someone and act in ways that they don't want to be acting. Like, I've had Mm, relationships with Oh, wow. Hard disagree, Mm. but okay. Go ahead. Keep going. I... I don't know. Like I've had relationships with people before where I didn't really like them actually that much. I'm sorry to my college boyfriend. I knew at the time I didn't like him that much. And he wanted to have our relationship dynamic be different from things that I was comfortable with. Nothing abusive, but like he wanted to be sweet. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not my thing. Like I tried this thing out and it wasn't for me. But when you find somebody that you do really like and they do sort of do the things that you like, you're more able to express that side of yourself and be that kind of person that I feel like Beard has underneath. Like, And I'm also weighing scenes that happen in later episodes. And so it's skewing my perspective a little bit, but I don't think that Beard would have done this unless Beard wanted to. And and just to be clear, you're, what you're saying, this is a euphemism for like butt stuff, right? Exactly. It's <laughs> always ninety percent of the things I say are euphemisms <laughs> right. okay, for butt good. stuff. Ex- except ex- except when I say butt stuff, then I do mean baking. Oh, and that's and that's the wrinkle. Well, if um, you should do a TED talk <laughs> on it, and I'll, and I'll do a TED listen. <laughs> Hot damn. Um. There's something with with the 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 fact that this scene is in the same episode as full bone the full blown QAnon joke that I feel deserves some attention. I wouldn't say it's one to one at all, but I do think what what to to sort of follow up on what Boss is saying, what's going on within Beard? who in many ways seems to see the world very clearly and just has a real sense of, you know, that this is what he has chosen, that a dynamic that's about like 
throwing yourself off a cliff and like they're so like big and dramatic and huge. Why why did he choose this? I do think I do think there's something really interesting there. Yeah. Well, I, I think to that point, um, also we haven't gotten into it quite yet, but what we find out it very shortly is that this is almost entirely through the perspective of Higgins, who was on his side of the office, listening in on this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you that if people heard some of the conversations I have with my close loved ones that I was not anticipating other people would hear, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's fair. Yeah. Like not, and not even just that we would do weird dramatic things, like say that we're going to throw ourselves off a cliff because we're so in love, Mm -hmm. but Like when I was in college, my older sister, a few years older, went to the same school and she and I were hanging out at her apartment one time and her roommate said, you guys sound like Furbies. Like we speak in a weird language and we have our own callbacks and our own references. And like, there's just an element of it that being outside of the relationship means that you don't understand all of those intricacies. So I don't know if Beard would have put this out for other people to know about his relationship with Jane. I, I mean, okay. I, 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 I feel like I've seen so many examples in, in the same, by the same measuring stick or, or the same example as men try to replace their mother. Um, I, I've seen so many relationships. I can't like unfathomable amount of people who will get into a relationship have no idea who the hell they are in the first place, like zero. And the, the, in, in this case, I'm just thinking about a lot of male friends because they have had strong mothers or had people taking care of them and they could be aimless and not do a lot of work on their personality. And then a really strong personality woman comes along, sort of takes over the dude's life and they just go along with it because it's better than having to do any thinking. Um, and, uh, I just seen that a lot, I think. And so I wonder what, I would like to think that Beard is not, does not, uh, you know, is not, is not devoid of complexity, um, because he's so interesting and, and weird and, and strange. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it, it's sort of, uh, again, the thing that bothered me more was not like that Jane had control of him. The, the thing that bothered me more was that Beard seemed to be actively changing from who we expect him to be to whatever this version of him is. And I know that we're different in private than we are in public. I get that. This ca- this sh- scene was shot obje- objectively, which is to say we didn't get a camera angle of of uh, Higgins peering over the the you know windowsill or anything like that. Higgins was in the shot. So objectively this is what happened. This wasn't you know just Higgins' point of view, but Higgins was used as the uh, uh the Greek chorus or if you will with his wide eyes horrified at the conversation to say uh to give us an insight into what the you know what we're supposed to feel about the, this dynamic. Yes, I I think that that definitely can happen. Um I don't know if that what you were talking about earlier with people not knowing who they are and falling into relationships and becoming the other person. I don't know if that would happen with Coach Beard, who is so sure of himself in so many ways and almost 50. Like that feels like it's a different dynamic when you're a kid trying to figure out who you are falling into those relationships and when you are an established 
man with their own interests getting into a relationship. I mean, I think also we need to bear in mind through all this beard said in season one that relationships shouldn't last longer than it takes to cook a steak. Like that was his, what he was telling mm-hmm. people he believed. I don't believe him when he said that. And we'll get into this a lot more in later episodes, the one that I love. Um, but I, I think that that is his self-defense mechanism where I don't get into relationships. They don't last. They're not very good. I'm great on my own. I don't believe him when he says that. I think that he has been looking for a connection for most of his life and that feeling like he found it has allowed him to expand who he is as a person. Okay. Yeah. I, I, on behalf of the world of men, I really appreciate you giving us as much faith uh, as you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, we're cavemen. We're really, really stupid. And it, it's always good. We talked about this on, in season one, where like there's a dynamic where a wife can ask her husband, like, hey, what are you thinking about? And he can go, nothing. And absolutely, she's like, yeah, bullshit, you're thinking about nothing. But if you could go like zoom into his head, you'd see it was fucking empty. He was literally thinking, like, it just doesn't happen in the same way, I don't think, with women. Um, and, and there's a question about the level of complexity that, uh, you know, again, I think the root of all this is the, the void, uh, that we have in, in our society where we don't know where, toxic masculinity ends and regular masculinity begins and where men are inside of that. And it all plays into this thing where you have a dynamic where, you know, sort of men shy away from complexity. So, um, and th- this sort of plays into the the concept of telling your friend when he's with somebody that you don't think he should be with. So um, anyway, it's interesting and, and multi-leveled and uh, beard. Uh, the whole thing was uh, to, to, to put a cap on the, the conversation beard, uh, uh, Jane tells Beard that she's going to Cafe Solo to meet Finn for coffee, and Beard says, who's Finn? And she says he's her old uni friend, the underwear model. Um, he wants to go through some shoot he did, and then she hangs up the phone. And Beard whimpers. And that's where Higgins is. We, we reveal Higgins. So, yeah, yes. And I thought Higgins' reaction was very much my reaction. Like, ugh, this, this, this seems bad on a number of fronts. I, I couldn't decide, and I'm not sure if it even matters or if she knows or or Beard knows or anyone knows, but did she do that on purpose? Because the, the two options I come away with, because that is, that just struck me as like really messed up. So it is either she is doing this as part of their, I'll jump off a cliff dance where I like create this discomfort in you and then I'll show up later and it'll all be real steamy later or is it that she's actually clueless enough and out of touch enough with his feelings that she would call and say oh yeah i just called to let you know i'm gonna meet up with someone i've never met before to look at pictures of their dick being showcased i was trying to figure out like what is happening here and yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure that I had landed in one place or the other. You know, we were talking about what you presume, uh, Coach. Did you presume uh, boxer briefs for for? Uh, uh, 
Harold, Harold <laughs> uni friend, uh, or absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You no, know, no banana hammocks for for the. It wasn't in a, no, in a speedo. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, super sexy, sleek stuff going on over there. Uh, you know, I think that she knows a little bit what she's doing, but I also think that this is a little bit of their thing. And mm-hmm. I am actually like at the end of season two. Now looking back, I am right now. I think that there were some writing missteps that were outside of the show universe and in more of the script writer universe that I will address later. Um, But I also know, like, maybe I'm trying to identify too much, but one of the things that I've said to people before is if I go on a date, I want my date to be very kind to the waitress and mean to me. Like, that's my thing. And I get that that sounds weird, but also it's my thing. Like, I like a little combative banter and back and forth. And like, I don't want them slapping me around or anything. But like, being mean to each other is, I'm cool with that. So I I feel like if this is their dynamic and they're both good, then I'm fine with it. Great. Thanks. Will you please shut up now? Probably not. (laughs) I'm just trying to to be a good partner here and make you feel terrible. All right. so. uh yeah, that's the thing because uh that's your thing. You've decided, you're comfortable with it. I think that's fine. I mean, I'm completely on team. This is not accidental from Jane. I think she's like probably got a mood disorder or something. Uh I think I think she's addicted to drama in a way that, you know, so, some elementary school kids are and and it's just like she cannot get enough of the friction. She's always trying to do things that build tension and build drama because she can't live without it. That's her that's her thing. She just loves that. And maybe Beard does too. Um knowingly or unknowingly. Uh but yeah, I don't I'm I'm not in the camp that uh Jane is is dumb at all. I think she's very bright. Um and I think she's very um sort of focused in what her what her deal is. Um okay. So uh, very quickly, uh, uh, Jamie is coming out of the locker, uh, rock, locker room, locker room texting, and he runs into Roy, and Roy wants nothing to do with him. Jamie asks uh, why he won't coach him. God, I love Jamie's accent. It's so, it's just, it's so great. Uh, Roy thinks he doesn't deserve it. Jamie takes Keeley's advice and agrees with him that he doesn't deserve it. The way he play is dull and conformist. Roy says. Jamie says yes. I do play in a quite dull and conformisty way. And Jamie just keeps agreeing with Roy. And Roy figures it out immediately and turns around <laughs> and like walks right up close to, to Jamie. And what does he say, coach? You're an ugly, ugly boy with bad hair. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and and then Jamie is having a hard time with that. I'm an ugly. Ugly boy um, with, with hair that could be maybe slightly ugh, with bad hair. Fine. Roy says he enjoyed that and he walks away. Um, he calls Roy an, an arsehole. Jamie's trying to build bridges. Roy says, what, boss? You couldn't build fucking Jeff bridges. And Roy pushes him at that point, escalating the fight way more than it needs to be. You know, that's interesting, boss. I didn't think about that specifically. But this really is an ode to how much Jamie has grown. He was told in season one, don't say anything else. Don't start any shit. And he intentionally 
turned it into a physical fight because he was like, screw that. I'm mm-hmm. not backing down. And here he absorbs a push. Like rules of the game, if he takes a swing at Roy, that's fair. Yep. Yeah. And instead, he like maintains what he's going for. Like, this is a pretty big moment for Jamie, actually, as Ted calls out. Yes. He, he stays on message. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a, a big moment for Jamie. I think that there was also a bit of Roy wanting to prove that Jamie hadn't grown as much as he was pretending to. Roy was like, oh, so you're going to say that you're an ugly boy with bad hair. Mm-hmm. What if I physically push you past your limit? What are we, you going to do then? Interesting. Which, like, hey, don't be an asshole, Roy. You're, you're the guy's coach. Be a bigger man. So Jamie refuses to... Uh, uh, Roy refuses to coach Jamie. Jamie refuses to to you know sort of let te- uh, uh, Roy get away with it. And Ted jumps out of the office and gets in between them. Well, what's going on? And Ted calls out Roy, saying Jamie is actually being the mature one. And Jamie says, uh, "This is this is reminiscent of um, uh, one uh, a fish called Wanda." Do you guys remember a fish called Wanda? When I remember the movie, I don't remember this line. Though, but go ahead, yeah. The line is. Um, uh, Kevin Klein is talking to John Cleese and he's like, you dickhead, asshole, fuckwad, shithead, you know, just every nasty word. And John Cleese says, oh my, you are a true Vulgarian. And Kevin Klein goes, you're the Vulgarian, you fuck. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines in cinema. You're the Vulgarian, you fuck. Um, and, and, uh, and here it says, it's true. I'm being super mature. You big, dumb, hairy baby twat. Mm. So good. By the way, and as long as we're like hearkening back to things, that feels a lot like a slight, a slightly more grown up version of PP fingers. And I, I bring that up seriously because I think we're dealing with home and son and coming of age. And I think there's, I think I don't think it's a mistake that we got this moment of Jamie having a coming of age moment, but still having this sort of boyish way of expressing being mad at someone. And and okay, and this how, how does it relate to PP fingers? Because I think I mean it, I think like that's what he said. Like when his son is mad, he just sort of like you know spews out kind of insults that don't make sense and 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 as much as we accept that you say some of these things because adults have decided that they are uh viable insults when you really stop and think about what you're calling the person you're just being gross you just you're just saying (laughs) i will say the most disgusting thing in the world i can think of right now to insult you because the fact that you would actually be that thing really has no Import yeah. like it, what was that? What did it, that mean? Stream of consciousness vulgarities. Uh, are you guys watching reboot by any chance on Hulu? Not yet, it's but it Judy looks Greer. brilliant. It's it's pretty good. I do like it a lot. But it's Judy Greer and Keegan Michael Key, and uh, most importantly to me, Johnny Knoxville. Uh, sort of a high concept reboot of a sitcom from like the early two thousands. And I don't want to ruin too much, but there is a scene in the most recent episode where Johnny Knoxville says shit on my dick and fuck my balls and i laughed <laughs> so goddamn hard for such a long time at the absurdity of everything involved in that and so yes yeah, sometimes when you're angry me and traffic uh you just make up swears and sometimes they come out like this 
So Ted says Jamie just wants to learn from Roy. And Jamie says, if Roy knows how to make, uh, Jamie says, if, if, you know, if you know how to make me better, he wants to hear it. And Roy says, all right, you know what? Fine. And what does he say, coach? You fucked him up, which I love (laughs) because Jamie immediately goes, whoa. Right. He said that. He said that. that He said that to Ted, right? Yeah, to Ted. You fucked him up. You made him a team player. You've got him to pass and shit. And in doing so, you've made him average. Because, Jamie, deep down at your core, you are a prick. So just be a prick. We need you to score more goals, and we need you to get in the other team's fucking heads and drive them up the fucking wall like only you can fucking do. Beautiful. And I think it's also this... This is at the core of, I think, ultimately, what the the best versions of the Lasso Way is this, which is how do you become a great version and also an authentic version of who you are? That it's not abandon who you actually are to become Ted. It's becoming who you are fully. Yes, I agree with all of that. I also really love the idea of weaponizing meanness or assholishness or bitchiness for the greater good. Like, um, my older sister for a very long time was the enforcer in the family. We were at a Dave Matthews show one time and somebody, a, a drunk asshole, kept pushing into us and eventually knocked over somebody in our group. And my sister lost her fucking mind. And it was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. She screamed at that woman and probably made her cry. And when it got, she got done, she came back and I was like, so you, you gave her what for? And she said she didn't know who she was being a bitch to. And I was like, yes, yes. That is one of the things that we say now. You didn't know who you were being a bitch to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm fully in favor of Jamie embracing being a prick. Yeah, I mean it's a thing in sports. Uh, the the Boston Bruins have a player named Brad Brad Marchand yeah. who is so fucking. I mean, he is horrific. <laughs> he is so terrible. Oh. A terrible. He is universally hated. <laughs> Children who are born in other cities are born hating <laughs> Brad Marchand. But he is so beloved, and everybody, even if you hate him, you understand how effective this fucking mm-hmm. guy is. Um, mm-hmm. He just ruins everything when he's on the ice. Um, Every great team needs one, if, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. If I'm honest, no, I no. believe that. Because some people are, are programmed this way, and 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 all Roy is doing is, is reverting Jamie back to his original programming. Jamie says, so I can go back to being a prick? There's this little trick camera. A smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so- he was excited about it, but they did this little thing that I thought was also a little inside joke, where it was a oneer on on Jamie, like he sort of framed to the left side of the screen, or sorry, the right side of the screen, and then Ted's head would kind of poke in. He's like, "Oh yeah, I'd, I'd yes," and I was like, "I, I really enjoyed very that. effective." Um, it was very funny, yeah. and like, and, yeah. and Roy is like saying, "No, I'm saying sometimes when it's appropriate, yes, be a prick." And Jamie asks how he knows when, and then Ted pops back in. Yeah, actually, I'm also – it, it was really – I just really loved it. I thought it was just great. Um, and uh, he says they'll give him a signal, which is the name of the episode. And, uh, you know, w- what's the signal, if there are any specifics? And Roy assures them they'll know it when they see it. And he walks on, off, and Ted and Jamie confirm, okay, they'll know it when they see it. So, you know, just uh, keep your eyes peeled. And uh, Ted – 
says point a points to the believe sign. You keep your eyes peeled and and believe. And uh, walks back into his office, and Jamie does a little. Yeah, he's frustrated by the by the vagueness of it, and uh, walks out of the locker room, kind of muttering. You know, we've talked of in a few places where, um, and I, I think it's right that there's some places where Ted, as a as a head coach, like we're not talking about a show and this. Like we're just saying, like in this function, um, I know Thor. Shoot, in this function, I know, Coach, that we, we've talked about how much you feel that Ted should be stepping in, straightening people out, all that kind of thing. Right. And I think this is actually parallel to that, but it, it, it here it doesn't see. I feel like it doesn't seem as bad. But this is also like, but, as but a he did coach, step in here, though, right? He stepped. I mean, he stepped in. He he injected himself, and he's just well, not yeah. doing this with Nate, is what I'm seeing. But anyway, keep going. Well, Sorry. But no, no, no. But in, but here though, he could be like, "Come on, Roy, we can't not know what the signal is, right?" But his reaction is, "That's Roy doing Roy things, so we'll just all keep our eyes peeled and find out what the signal is." I could definitely see myself being like, "All right, well, if you don't have a signal, I'll make up a signal. That's fine." You know what I mean? I, like, yeah. I think it, I think it's interesting. It worked for me here in a way in some other places. I agreed with you that, yeah, probably it's time for at least a pull aside conversation. Colin, you dolt. Like that was like, you know, that, that right. Right. It's, I, I definitely get what you're saying. A little bit of it reminded me all the way back to season one, episode one, when Ted said that the, the first domino that needs to fall is in that man's heart. And I feel like he's always known that Roy is going to be the continuation of Richmond well after Ted is gone. I don't think that Ted expected to be around that long because he was going to go back home to his family. Mm. And I think that he's been, you know, not grooming. That sounds like the weird. <laughs> but, you know, he's like mentoring Roy, trying to get Roy to open up in all those places so that he could become the coach is how I saw it. Gotta say the opening up in all those places right behind the grooming line was uh <laughs> it was it was a it was a it was a lot to process, boss. It was oh, a lot. I said that wrong. <laughs> I did that bad. Right. Um we are gonna uh we're gonna give a stop right there and um we will pick up the rest in our next episode. Um if there are any final thoughts about the first uh, half or so of this episode, coach um, or, or boss, I don't know if either one of you want to comment on on any f- thoughts to carry us over. Um, the next scene is going to be uh, Rebecca in her kitchen looking at Tumescent and and, uh, and messaging Luca. Well, for me, I'll jump in just, I think this piece of com- fathers and sons and coming of age, I think Jamie growing up um, and us seeing the evidence of how much he's grown up in this episode, I think it all matters. And I don't think it's by coincidence that it coincides with uh, the forgotten uh, sandwich for 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 our for the trip. So I just think there's, there's just a lot built in here and like you point out he takes a couple shots about the divorce during this as well so they, they, they i feel like we 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 got teed up for where we go yeah N- nothing specific other than we will need to dig in a little bit more in how 
Ted is providing sandwiches to Beard and cannot provide one to his own son. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> what a great Ooh. note. <laughs> wow. That'll clear your sinuses better than some horseradish right there. That's all right. <laughs> that is all right. Co- Coach, I got a, I got a, I got a great uh, horseradish joke. Um, to I'm gonna kill you. I am going to kill you. I'm going to send you every bitmoji that's ever been created. Yes. <laughs> no, all right, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, all right, uh, with that, uh, that is that is the end of today's episode, and we hope you join us for part two next time. Um, thank you for sticking with us. We adore this show. It's an important show. It's a great show. It's uh, a notable show. It's gonna it's gonna last a long time. And um, God, it's so good. Um, so thank you for 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 uh, taking this this time to spend with us. We know it's a, a long podcast, and um, we will catch you next time. Uh, until then, we are Richmond, Richmond till we, we die. die. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.